As the final touches were being put on this episode, word reached us of the passing of legendary Star Wars concept artist Ralph McQuarrie, and we would like to express sincere and heartfelt condolences to his family and his friends. He was an extraordinary artist, and he will be sorely missed. Yeah, don't ever let the listeners hear our secret plots to brainwash them. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> and now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. We're doomed. I don't like this. No! Really pissed me off. Oh no! It's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Help me! Our two! This is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. I'm not going anywhere. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Wars Monthly Monday number 39. Now featuring Indiana Jones. And for all of you out there going, <gasps> Indiana Jones? When did when did this come about? That means you did not listen to our Raiders of the Lost Ark commentary episode. And in which case... We must kill you. You are dead to us. Sorry. If it's any consolation, it does help send a clear message to the rest of the audience, so your death won't be in vain. We do appreciate that fact anyway. It could actually bolster our listenership. <laughs> we'll be like, damn, these guys are serious now. Anyway, my name is Scott Gardner. And join we ought to in- kill more of our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> A little sacrifice here and there, does it hurt? I'm going to bring that up at the next meeting. Human sacrifice? 
Yeah, well, you know, I mean, if it'll boast, you know, bolster the numbers. Oh, um, 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 <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Joining me, that mellifluous voice that you hear, the face that launched a thousand lunches. That's my best friend, Chris Honeywell. Mecca, lecca, hi, mecca, hi, ni ho. <laughs> right in the old chest cavity. <laughs> oh. Two, true, three. Oh, that's awesome. We'll keep their souls in a jar. So how are you? You doing all right? I'm doing good. Doing good? Getting there? Getting better? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I had a little bit of a cold or a flu. Or so. I don't think it was a flu because usually the flu puts me down on flat on my ass. So <laughs> and I've been up and around, but just, yeah. You might hear a little bit of clogginess in my nasal cavity. I might sound a little extra nasal today. Awesome. Lucky listeners. <laughs> And I heard, hey, Fran Drescher's back on a TV show. Yes, so extra nasally. Yes. Yeah, so, so just that, you know, consider yourself lucky. I sound like James Earl Jones compared to her. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like an idiot today, and I'll tell oh. you, <laughs> even more so than usual, because you know, uh, again, we in the in the interest of full disclosure and peeking behind the curtain. You know, we last night we recorded. Uh, we actually recorded a couple of things last night, but the first thing we recorded, and I'm not sure, unlikely, as much as I'd love to have it done and, and out there for the listeners prior to this episode being out there, this episode is actually under a time crunch, whereas the other one is not. So they may or may not hear that episode before they hear this one. Anyway, what we recorded was our, our Megacon wrap-up, and one of the things I was talking about in the Megacon wrap-up was... Uh, Bill Sienkiewicz and how I got to meet him and I got him to sign a bunch of books and then I was kicking myself that one of my all-time favorite covers which was uh, Legion of Superheroes number 38 of the of the Baxter series awesome awesome cover could have had it signed totally forgot about it totally forgot to take it with me and have him sign it I don't know what made it pop into my head today but dude what is the Sinkovich uh, cover that we were just talking about on Star Wars Monthly Monday, like what, like two, I think it was two episodes ago? The, the, the one with Darth, the Darth Vader one? No, 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 no. I, that's the one I got signed. Right, right. Oh, I'm Return trying to think of the of other the one. Jedi, the Return oh. of the Jedi. Super special. I love that cover. It's awesome. I know what it was. Oh, what were you thinking, you idiot? You know what made me think of it? I just remembered what made me think of it. Later in the show, we will be, uh, as part of our new feature on Star Wars Monthly Monday, now featuring Indiana Jones, we will be covering the Marvel Comics adaptation of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So when I went to pull out my Raiders of the Lost Ark super special, it's Marvel Comics super special number 18, as I was flipping through my books to find that one, I flipped past... The Marvel Comics Super Special for Return of the Jedi. Jedi. It's like number 27 or something like that. And I saw it. And as soon as I saw it, I said, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't think to take this book with me to get signed. Because I love that cover. And I I would have had a a couple of choices because, you know, not only do I have the actual Super Special, but then Andy Leyland had sent me that British reprint. of Oh, even nicer. For annual. And it's like. How did I not think to take that? I just didn't, never even occurred to me. I felt like such a dope. So, 
you know, if I'm if I'm blessed enough next year that I can make it again and, and he's there again, I'm going to have to remember to do that because I was like, oh, man, because that's a that's a beautiful, beautiful piece. of. You know, I'm actually surprised that he didn't call me out about that because we talked about Star Wars, you know, and I, I'm surprised he didn't say, hey, you know, if you like this, you know, I did the cover to Return of the Debate. You know, he I'm, he's done so much stuff. He maybe he didn't even think about it at the time. You know what I mean? But anyway. That was my day in Star Wars. <laughs> what I, ju- I, I just ran across the... Um, we were talking about it on that same show last night, the Bill Sienkiewicz, uh Daredevil graphic novel. Ah, uh, yeah. Which I didn't even know I had. <laughs> I was just like, hey, we were just talking about this. I need, to, I need to dig that back out and look at it, because I remember loving the art. I just don't remember really especially caring for the story, but that was at a time when... Now, and I'm not a Daredevil fan by any stretch of the imagination, but that was at a time that I knew even less about Daredevil then than I do now. So maybe being slightly more familiar with that character and his story and backstory and all that, maybe I would get into that a little bit more than I did originally. But I, I remember just being like, you know, really enamored of the art and thinking the story was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. You know? I like the art. Something weird was going on with the color in it. I didn't like the color of it too much. It was almost like weird pastel-y, but I remember I liked it. I liked it a lot. I'm a big Sienkiewicz fan, so Do you and Daredevil fan, so. Who the uh, colorist was on that? I don't remember. I don't remember. I'll have to take a look at that. Maybe we, maybe we can do that one on... Uh, you know, I, I think we need a little more Marvel in our... Uh... I could be wrong about this, but I was thinking about it the other day that I, I, I think maybe... We're slightly skewed DC in our Get Chris to Read, you know, a superhero comic segment on Comics Monthly Monday. I could be wrong. I haven't actually sat down and done the numbers on this, but we've done you, a couple. We did the Craven, the right Death of Craven one or Craven's Last Hunt, and I'm trying to think of what else. I don't know much what else. Yeah, everybody likes to throw DC stuff at me. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, that's what Mike and I are more familiar with than anything else. But yeah, I, I, you know, I think uh, we could throw that Daredevil book on the on the pile at some time. I wouldn't mind having a, a reexamination of that. But anyway, we're not really here to talk Daredevil. Although uh, the book, the first book we're going to cover today uh, has a Daredevil uh, connection in it. D- did you have anything else before we get into the comics proper? The only Star Wars things that happened to me today, I found a Star Wars item in my digging through my junk that I didn't even know I had. It's the weirdest thing. Stop digging your thing. junk. I keep telling you that's why you wear gl- have to wear glasses. I, I've been telling you this since we were like preteens. I put on gloves when I dig in my junk. Oh, all right. Well, that makes it okay. <laughs> and I pulled out this little piece of pla- like sealed plastic baggie, you know, like a little bubble wrap baggy like you but it looked like something you would get out of like a hardware store it had like all these like filing numbers on it and it says and it's like a little piece of plastic that just says episode one on a on on a sort of half circle semi-circle piece of plastic it's not really half a circle it's kind of half an oval Mm -hmm. and it and uh, has two little um springs coming out of the bottom of it and i'm like what the hell is this and it looks all like, you know how when plastic sits in the sun, like thick, clear plastic sits in the sun, like the edges of it will get milky. Right. Yeah. It sort of looked like plastic that had gotten all milky. And I'm like, what is this messed up? And I'm looking at it 
And so I run the numbers into Google, and it's a piece from the episode one um, pinball machine. It's a replacement piece. It looks milky because it has, you know how they put that that little thin sort of static cling plastic over new things that you can peel oh, yeah, it off? Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. That was over it. So it's like a brand new piece. And then I flip it over and it's got a little 25 cent. I'm like, I must have picked this up at a garage sale for 25 cents. Well, I guess if I ever get the episode one pinball machine <laughs> and wear out that part, I'm all set. I don't know how I get half the shit I get. That'd be something to put on eBay just to see what, what you might fetch for it. I should I should check it out. I, I, I almost have a rule that where, where I almost like all my Star Wars stuff I just hang on to because it's mine. <laughs> if i get desperate enough star wars stuff might show up on ebay that's how you'll know i'm really broke is when you see star wars stuff on ebay that's when you know i'm sitting in an empty room <laughs> to just me and my star wars stuff you know taking pictures of it for for ebay because <laughs> one day i want one of every star wars things ever so that's just that's Good starting me that. on starting me on the road to pinball machine my pinball machine collection but that's all I got. You actually have the first synopsis. Oh, I do. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Hey, while you were grabbing your junk, you weren't at the playground again, were you? I'm not allowed to be at the playground. Okay. I'm not even, I can't even be within 1,500 feet of the playground, so maybe... Well, it's like you said, you know, every day I would never and in say every if way, I was a... you're getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. If that's what you want to believe, that's, that's <laughs> great. All right. <laughs> getting right into it. It's Star Wars number 84. And I think now that I have a paper copy in front of me that I'm going to, that will probably be aligned on the prices. It's a big old 60 center. 25 pence if you're in merry old England. <laughs> 25 pence, squire. And uh, it's got a cover by Richardson and Palmer with a very elfin magic looking Han Solo reaching for a, a crystal. <laughs> Doesn't he look kind of elfy there? Yes, yes, he does. But you know what? I'll, I'll be honest. I look at that cover and you know what I hear? I hear. Because that doesn't look like he's like with the crystal from this Fortress of Solitude or well, something. It's, it's 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 half Indiana Jones grabbing the idol and half Superman's Fortress of Solitude and half Elf half Elf Quest. Elf I know quest. that's three halves, but you know, <laughs> you're you're absolutely right. And, and he's got and, the darker creeping up on him from behind there. Yes, there's there's a there's a pair of red eyes and a couple clutchy hands coming at him from the background. And uh, so this month's story is called Soul Searching. <laughs> spelled S E O U L like in Seoul, Korea, but it's not. It's Space Soul 
in this one. Because Han Solo got space soul, yo. All right. <laughs> so this one came out in June of 1984. We got Rory Richardson for the writer. Now, was he the also the penciler on the cover? Is this the he, same Richardson? He, I Yes, I do believe so. Um, I have to be perfectly honest. I don't know a thing about him. Never, yeah. never heard of him. The the art really looks like um, Tom Palmer on the cover. You know, it's got the Tom Palmer look. So it's well, Palmer it's inked it. Palmer. Right, right. That's what I mean. His inking style really like overpowers. Yeah, in in a good way in Star Wars. I think. I, yeah, I didn't mean. Yeah, I definitely didn't mean that as a dig because, um, as we're gonna see here, I mean, he was the glue that held this title together as far yeah. as keeping a, a a distinctive style all throughout. Um, but at the and a damn good way, golfer. <laughs> but you know, it, it is overpowering, um, in the sense that sometimes the the flavor of the penciling artist is a little bit um, is a little lost as he tries muted, to yeah, keep, you know, or muted. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, normally, that sort of thing really bugs me, like when somebody like Vinnie Coletta would do shit like that. But the difference here is that, you know, you've got one artist that's, you know, excellent and, and keeping a unified look and, and really bringing something powerful to the book versus somebody who's just a lousy inker and, and ruins everything he puts his hand to. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, we're looking at you, Vinny. All right. So we got Dave Mazzuccelli on pencils. There's that great. Daredevil connection. Yep, the, someday we'll find it, the Daredevil Connection. And Tom Palmer, of course, on ink. Rich Parker letters, Glennis Wine colors. Um, you still there? I am. I muted myself, yes. Oh, okay. I'm um, going to do some research on Roy Richardson while you continue with your synopsis. Okay. Uh, we got Jones and uh, Nascenti as the editors and Jim Shooter as the editor-in-chief. So, okay, so in between uh, boring diplomatic missions, Han and Chewie are uh, taking a little trip to the bad side of the galaxy to play some space poker. In a game where um, um, Han bets the Falcon, he impossibly wins a really high card hand by his opponent and uh, wins a treasure map and a magic crystal that seems to have almost like Jedi-like mind amp amplifying powers. The, the person he, he, he won it from, you know, to, in order to get him to bet it, told him a whole story of, uh, you know, a whole, a lost planet, the planet of Soul 5, which is filled with these crystals and, and you know, untold riches. So um, the, the poker game comes to a bad end and Han is, is um, accused of cheating and it makes a quick getaway to the Falcon and um, decides... You know, hey, we might. You know, we're bored. We're we're sick of uh, being space uh, diplomats. Let's let's go on a little treasure hunt. And so uh, Han and Chewie go to the ruined planet, but they find it's also being visited by a whole garrison of Imperial troops led by Captain Drezzle, Drezzle, and his psychic space <laughs> kitty cat. Oh, that's a lovely sound in my headphones. Thank you very much. Get used to it. Han follows the directions to a, a ruined city with... <laughs> and some stormtroopers in pursuit. Han triggers a hidden trap door uh, near a statue and narrowly escapes... <laughs> psychic attack. 
He finds the crystal chamber, but finds the Imperials have already been there and pretty much set up shop. And he finds two archaeologists who were there and were exploring this planet and and the evil kitty cats read their mind that they were going to plan to keep the crystals away from the Imperials so they uh, tie them up. So, of course, Han comes and frees them. And uh, at the same time, a whole bunch of stormtroopers show up and and Han sort of sends them on their way and uh, decides he's going to put an end to this once and for all. So he goes to put the crystal in its special sort of Superman hole in in a podium (laughs) that will uh, destroy the planet. But he's attacked by... (laughs) But... Han fights off his psychic attack by holding up the crystal and using it to sort of shoot it back at at the evil... I don't know, they call him a psychic, although he has sort of Jedi powers. So he gets a crystal in the machine, it sets up this whole feedback loop, and just in time the Millennium Falcon flies away as the planet explodes. And so the universe has lost a, a stunning archaeological find, but... On the bright side, they've kept the awesome power of these crystals out of the Imperials' hands. And Han Solo even gets a kiss from a girl who looks like a regular colored version of... Oh, what's her name uh, from... Uh, I, wa- I keep wanting to say Donnie. It's Donnie, isn't it? Yes, yeah. And, yeah, uh, you're right. And, and that's that... It's sort of in, it's sort of Indiana Han in the Temple of Crystals. Uh, yeah, I was wondering who was going to make that comparison first because that was uh, yeah, Space Indiana Jones is is one of my which notes is really funny because it's it's Han, it's you know it's it's sort of Harrison Ford by proxy too you know. Yep, it's a Absolutely. very Indiana Jones story. Although I'm wondering if they're playing a little tribute to Kirok when he's at that dude that statue oh i was i <laughs> that is one of my notes is that this would be my favorite issue ever if when he comes out of the temple at the end of the episode he said i am Kirok. cuz yes he he does the, that 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 they might as well name that girl miramonte they should yeah, have just to, they just should to. they should have just to see if anybody would catch it cuz yeah that that obelisk is very much like the one that kirk descends yes in. it is and then yes, he com- you know he ends up coming out of it at the end too yeah i i totally had a kirok moment there that's awesome <laughs> that's awesome that we're so on the same page with this issue everybody loves their kirok moments <laughs> oftentimes you make lamps you you end up making <laughs> lamps i i i wasn't too fond of <laughs> The, the human being with a kitty cat head stuck on him. I thought that was pretty goofy. Yeah, that, well, I, you know, I don't mind that part so much as that. Do, do you have to give him a totally stupid name? You know, I mean, not it, not only was it like 14 S's with a K at the end, but then there was an exclamation point, too. Yes, so it's say it loud. That, that was part of the name, so that it would be like, you know, that that word with the exclamation point, comma... Uh-huh. Can you go get me a beer or whatever that you know the dialogue was? And it just looks goofy when you're reading it. It's like, come on, seriously, can it can his name be like Fred the Cat or something? You know, <laughs> Morris. Morris. <laughs> you know? <laughs> come on. It would be great if it was Morris. It is just like, oh, the same old crystals again. <laughs> 
Actually, it would be. I, I actually, I, I actually, I have an idea. Maybe I'll Photoshop Garfield's head on him for the the oh, picture no. this month. No, no, no. Well, one of the, that's fine. But one of the pictures that you most definitely have is it this issue? You know what? It may not be this issue. I think it may be next issue. That's all right. Ahead of yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'll come back to it because there is definitely a picture I want you to uh, do a little bit of Photoshop magic on for the, for uh, for the picture for this month. I can doodly doodly do that, but I'll come I'll come back to that. What else you got for notes on this one? Um, I thought the art was very nice in it. I I was uh, w- once again very pleased. I I I'm a big fan of Dave Mazzuchelli, but once again his style is muted by you know it's very Tom Palmerish. If his name hadn't been in the credits, would you know that this was Mazzuchelli? Because I don't no. had caught it. No, I'm sort. I sort of pick up that it's Mazzuchelli just by his sense of composition, right? Really, but I don't think I would have picked up on that if I didn't know it wasn't him. You right. know, there's there's several parts in here where it's like, oh, okay, I see, I see his style coming through here. But no, Tom, Tom Palmer really like keeps it consistent. You know, he he inks as Chewy a certain way. He inks on, you know, he inks on Solo a certain way, and. uh it works out really good. I like the way he does it. They, they usually end up looking very much like the character. There's a there's a picture in here where they're first, you know, a, approaching the planet, and Han's like, you know, they're um, flying the Falcon, and there's like a little hologram of the ship sort of in front of Han, and he's like doing some controls, and he's sort of looking at it from the corner of his eye. That's a very Harrison Ford. It looks like, it, 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 yeah, it's just very good. The Falcon is nicely drawn in this too. Um, generally, I thought it was a decent story. Um, I, I'm, I'm guessing that what year is this? 84 that it's, that they probably were paying tribute to, to Indiana Jones. Cause it's just so much of a, of an adventure, you know, of a, of an arch, archeological adventure. And, uh, I liked, um, especially in the first third of it. Han's dialogue is very Han Solo. I can hear Harrison Ford, you know. Right. Say, I mean, sometimes it's just a little pastiche of like other Han Solo. Like, there's a scene where they're outside the Falcon when they first get there, and he says to Huey, "Don't worry, I know what I'm doing. Just stay here and be ready for a quick takeoff. You know, this is nothing I can't handle alone." Which is just a regular line, but I could totally hear Harrison Ford delivering that. It's totally right. it's a what do you mean you've heard that before? Never mind. I'll be back before you know it. It's totally Han Solo dialogue. It's he's got a really good feel for it. Now, is, has Richardson done... Uh, this is his first Star Wars comic, if I recall right, right? He hasn't written any for no, this, this, has he? I, I looked him up while you were doing your synopsis, because I, I meant to do this earlier and I totally forgot. But I, I really, literally did not recognize this name at all. I looked him up. He's only had a, a handful of writing. Tra- he did a, a, a Black Beauty graphic novel in 2005. He did this one issue of Star Wars, and then he did several issues of something called Tomorrow Nights. I don't know what that is. He penciled just a few things. Primarily, it looks like he's been an inker for most of his career. He's worked on a lot of ho- uh, high-profile uh, Marvel and DC books. I mean, you know, running. He's the not a from... bad writer. You no, know, no, not at all. Not a it bad wasn't... artist either. I, I yeah. I'm surprised he hasn't done more. 
I mean, uh, I, I, I'll be honest, I don't particularly care for this cover, but that I think that has more to do with just the composition and the coloring more than the actual yeah. art. Um, but yeah, the, the story wasn't bad. It definitely just, it feels like more than likely what it really is, which is, you know, we... we uh, well, for one thing, this is a this is a transition issue between editors. This is you know it's Jones and Nascenti are, are credited as the editors. Next issue, we're going to see it's Nascenti on her own. And according to that back issue um, article uh, that I like to you know mention from time to time, you know that that really was informative. It's in back issue number nine that basically covers the entire series of Marvel Star Wars. You know the the secret history, so to speak. This was kind of Anna Senti's thing right out of the gate when she came to Star Wars. Was she wanted to get the book on time, and one of the uh, one of the ways that she did that was she cleaned out the, um, you know, the submissions drawer, whatever they call it. You know, the drawer of you know where all these these submitted stories were just in odds limbo. and ends are laying around. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and this issue feels like. With just a, a, a few tweaks in the dialogue, this could have this issue could have happened at any time in Marvel Star Wars before history. before Empire, yeah, and after yeah, Jedi, yeah. I think it even could have happened because to me, this this harkens back to the very first expanded universe story. You know, the the you know the day after the Death Star. You know, when Han and Chewie went off to uh, Aduba, whatever the hell yes. that was, Aduba three or whatever. You know, it's it's sort of the same type of deal. So, I, I would not be surprised at all if if this you know the the story came from way on back, and they just did a little you know a couple of couple of quick tweaks with the dialogue and and placed it post Return of the Jedi, and here you go, you got an issue. You know, all mm-hmm. you need is a is an artist to come in and actually do the the art, and you're good to go. And. uh I, you know, I, I'm guessing with all that, but I, I think it's, uh, you know, a pretty reasonable, uh, you know, pretty reasonable guess. But, uh, well, you're a pretty reasonable guy. <laughs> I try to be. <laughs> it's very reasonable of you, Scott. But doesn't it, though, feel like a, a throwback to that to that earliest Han and Chewie and, story? And with a couple of tweaks, it could even take place pre-Star Wars, you know? Right. It could just yeah, be a an, any any Han Solo story because it's yeah. basically just him and Chewie and it's just him and Chewie, yeah. And he doesn't even mention the princess by name. He just tells the archaeologist lady at one point, you know, hey, you remind me of somebody I know, you know, when she's right calling him names, right. Which could be, you know, it could be any number of women. And it could, it could be, be any, any number of women. Anybody. Yeah. Um, backlog was the word I was struggling for. They, she was clearing out the backlog of uh, of submitted and unused stories. And I think, you know, we're going to we're going to see that continue to happen for at least a couple more uh issues, you know, scattered throughout the the rest of the series remaining, you know, that we're going to cover. Now the old timer in this he reminded me a bit, especially on page 2. He reminded me a bit of uh, Doctor Evazan, who was the guy, you know, in, in the most likely Cantina, you know, the uh, you know, "You'll be dead" guy. He kind of reminded me of him a little bit, you know, although he's not messed up looking like that guy was. Right, he had like a scarred face and everything, but he still kind of reminded me of him a little bit. He's still kind of a grumpy prick. <laughs> 
I got also, you know, along with getting an Indiana Jones vibe off of this, I also saw some shades of uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye and even a little bit of the Dark Crystal in there, too. Yeah. Uh, well, this, I, I mean, I was think I was wondering if maybe Han had stumbled into, like, where the Kaber Crystal came from or something, you know? Right. And, you know, I, 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 I wondered why he didn't have a thing saying, you know, I wonder what Luke could do with this thing, you know, <laughs> if it, if it, if it, um, expands your mental powers right yeah that's a that's a good kind never thought about that but you're absolutely right you know it seems like he would have had at least a moment you know thinking about something like that i'm surprised that there was never really any mention of the force you know it is the the, the word jedi is never said but there's all sorts of sort of jedi stuff going on in this it's weird you know he's not like that cat has strange jedi like powers you know it's like ah, no that cat's a psychic but wouldn't psychics be jedis in those in star wars talk you know i don't know i don't know because that's the thing is did star wars never really got into you know, Star Trek land, because in Star Trek, it, it, it's freely acknowledged that there are races like, say, the Vulcans that have, you know, extra mental powers, you know, where they can, you know, share their thoughts and read minds and stuff like that. On a, on a quick recollection, I don't think that's really done in Star Wars. You know, anybody who has, you know, telepathy or telekinesis or you know precognition then they're they're force right. users all the, right? all the all the paranormal seems to be stuffed into jedi land that's where right. you see ghosts and stuff like that too you right. know that's where you yeah. got ghosts and spirits are all in the jedi context and right so i'm just i'm just straight i i'm just curious that he you know why he didn't there was never any mention of the word Jet- I don't think Luke Skywalker's name also is even mentioned no, in either of these two so. books. It, it is in the in the next issue because Akbar says that Luke uh, and Leia are off on on separate missions, and then we're going right. to see those uh, those missions if we have not already. I kind of felt like he was referencing Luke's mission back to uh, the water planet, but I, I forget where the hell was Leia. Did we see that yet? I can't remember. Do we see where Leia was off to? I don't think so. I don't think we've seen much of Leia in the last like four or five ep- issues, issue sodes. Because I'm trying to remember. Because she went off with Han. Yeah, Jawas of Doom was them together. And then, which one was that? Okay, Diplomacy in '82. That was the one where Luke was on the water planet. What was 83? 83 was the Lando story. So, yeah, we have not seen Leia. So I guess we're going to be getting that in the future. But I don't know, because, see, the next issue, you know, we're covering tonight, we're covering uh, 84 and 85. Well, the next issue beyond that, 86, is a Leia story. However, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm pretty sure I'm I'm right on my facts with this one, because that's one of my favorite issues of the entire series, that's a flashback story. That, you know, to like, uh, it's pre-Return of the Jedi. I can't remember if it's pre-Empire either. It may be, but I know it's definitely pre-Return of the Jedi, that story. So, I don't know. That's kind of, that's kind of weird. We'll just, I I guess we'll just have to catch up with that one and see. uh, I'm surprised we haven't had a flashback of little Princess Leia on Alderaan. Maybe George Lucas wouldn't have let him do that, maybe. 
I know that that was done in. Oh my God! Like what Dark story Horse was there? It was some... something in Dark Horse. Yes, there there was a, actually a really good story of that where. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. She was taunting. Was it Tarkin? Maybe. Oh my God! That's that's going to strain the old brain muscle now to try to remember what story that was. But it was really good. I think I think it was in was Star it like Wars a Star- Tales. I was going to say it sounds like a Star Wars Tales type yeah. of story. And uh, but it was good. It was a good story. But yeah, that that's the only thing I can remember. Plus, uh, I think now I have not played the game or or finished the novels yet myself. But in um, Star Wars, that video game, Force Unleashed. One of the two of those, I think young Princess Leia makes a cameo. You know, like like pre um episode four Leia right. makes a makes an appearance in one of one of the other of those games, I do believe. But again, I you know, I'm not entirely sure of my facts on that. Because I haven't I haven't actually played it myself. And I started reading the novel at one point and then I got distracted and I haven't finished it yet. But I will eventually. What else you got on this one? Um, not much else. But on the last page, I love that drawing of the Millennium Falcon. It's it's actually not the most detailed drawing, but the way it's drawn just gives it a really good. It looks like it's being lit from a really bright light from behind. I like it. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's cool because the uh, the dish is in shadow, which it kind of would be if the light source was brighter behind it. So mm-hmm. that's that's actually pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the Falcon looked great in this issue. Han and Chewie, for the most part, looked pretty good too, and they were they were mostly on model, you know. And and Han yes. looks more Harrison Ford like in this issue than than most other issues that we've seen in the series. But there were still moments where I thought, you know, every once in a while they looked a little wonky. But I thought uh, Mazzuccelli. Did an excellent job with the Falcon. I thought the Falcon looked good in every uh, every panel where we see it. It's a lot more detailed in this one than it than it is in a lot of the other issues, especially like some of those issues where it looked like a flying quarter or something. You know, where it was like yes. slick all over. You know, and it's not. You know, the Millennium Falcon's all bumpy and lumpy and patchwork. You know, and yeah, I it, it looks like a almost like a um, circuit board or you know, yeah, extra thick chunky circuit board yeah absolutely let's see what else i got i know i had a few other oh um i don't know that i ever noticed this in other issues or not this may have been going on for a while and i just never took note until this particular issue but it kind of bugged me when i when i caught it in this every time there's a laser fight in this one they are straight, steady beams that run the entire length of the panel. So they actually yes. are more like phaser beams than laser bolts. You know, because in Star Wars, it's always like a quick burst. You know, it's a, it's you know it's it, it's the laser equivalent of a bullet. It looks like a tra- They look like tracers from a yeah a machine gun or something. Absolutely, absolutely, perfect analogy. Whereas in this, they're they're all very much phaser fire and that that kind of bugged me and i noticed that carried on to the next issue which got me to thinking maybe they, they've been doing this for a while and i just hadn't noticed I noticed i like i forgot to make a point of what page it was on let's see it's uh page eight first panel the imperial landing craft 
very Clone Wars. I yes. like that ship. It's really cool looking. I, I, I didn't even really think neat. of that. It's like Clone Wars and Imperial Shuttle mixed together. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. And you know what? I, that, that bunker right there is right out of Return of the Jedi, and I didn't even catch that till now. That's very I much like the one on Endor. I just noticed they had an R2 unit, too. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I didn't catch that either. Man, there was one at Megacon that was awesome. It was one of those black Imperial R2s. They are slick looking, man. I, I don't think, I mean, I knew that there were Imperial R2s, but I don't think I ever really took note of them before. They're really cool looking. I mean, they, they're badass looking, you know, because they're, they're the whole black and silver color scheme. Yeah, yeah. But, but on an R2 unit, it looks really sharp. I thought that was cool. Um, again, with the remnants of the Empire, I, you know. Now, in fairness, I know that Marvel Star Wars hasn't used that a whole lot yet. But knowing it's coming and knowing that that's where the expanded universe went for years and years and years... I'm yeah. I'm, I have no patience with that anymore. Give well, me the though the empire was such a huge power structure that just yeah. taking out the top two leaves a lot of other people to jockey. I'm, you know, it's not I'm like dumb. every millions and millions and millions of people are going to go. Okay, let's go home now. Right. I know, and I know it's uh, you know it, it's not fair, but still, like I say, when you add yeah. it all in, everything it's anticlimactic has, after it, Jedi. It is. It is. It really is. It's like, really? Stormtroopers are a threat? I thought we pretty much whooped Darth Vader. <laughs> you know? <laughs> didn't we? Didn't, yeah. <laughs> didn't we take these guys out already? Exactly. Didn't we, didn't we kill the Emperor and Darth Vader? Or Stormtroop, <laughs> you know, Stormtroopers are just like flicking flies off for, you know, the rebels now. And we have... Drezzel guy. Come on. Drezzel, yeah. That's kind Drezzel. of... We have the glorious return of Chewy dialogue in this issue, and he yes. gets some good ones. We got some Gronks. We got uh, gro- Groofs. It's a Groof. G W O O F. Woof. Groof. Another Gronk. Uh, Grumpf. Gronk with t- uh, two N's, another humph, <laughs> two humphs, humph. <laughs> what else? I know there was a really good one in here. I can't remember what it was, though. It must be right at the end because we don't see Chewie again until... That's another Gronk. Jesus Christ. He's saying the same thing over and I guess that was it. There's just one more Gronk near the on the next to last page. Someday we should see if we can figure out Wookiee language just from what, you know... <laughs> Hey, that reminds me. Have you seen that thing that's been going around Facebook where uh, it's a picture of R2-D2, a really nice picture of R2-D2? Yes, and saying he's the most filthy character <laughs> ever in any movie because every line's been bleeped. <laughs> every line got bleeped. <laughs> that's going to wind up on a T-shirt, and when it does, I've got to I've gotta own it. Cause I, that... That's funny if you think of like every time like you hear R2 beeping that it's like, Rats are frats and zabbing robbing, reading fragging. The ruined city looks like a post-apocalyptic 30th century metropolis from mm. Legion of Superheroes to me. Well, it's got a lot of green in it, in it too. You know, it's all, <laughs> it's 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 green and blue. It yes, it does. It looks very with this with the sort of round architecture and spiry mm-hmm. architecture. Yeah, it, it's very much uh, Legion. 
Because on the page where, where Han comes into the clearing where the, where the statue slash obelisk thing is, some of the buildings behind it and everything look like, like somewhere back there, Legion headquarters is, you know, should be in the background kind of thing. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I can't believe we both came up with the I am Kirok thing. That's, that just kills me. That's awesome. That's to- I guess what it was is when he starts fumbling around for buttons and then that trap door opened up. That's when I really, that's when it yes. hit, it's like, oh my God, it's, it's, you know, uh, it's Kirok, it's Paradise Syndrome, but that, that's hilarious. I love the, the shot here. It's on page 12, third panel, where uh, Han's standing behind the, the obelisk, firing back at the Imperials, and you get the sound effect, zark, zark, zark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just goofy. Page 14 uh, I know you're not familiar with uh, with uh, the the comics I'm going to reference, but dude, trust me, the the control room that Han goes into, especially the control board that mm-hmm. he's sitting at at that last panel on page 14, that is right out of the post crisis Fortress of Solitude. Totally, I mean, just the way the controls are drawn on there, very like crystalline and all that. That's that's really cool. I like that. That's that's neat. I um, can't figure out how he knew what he had to do yeah. to make the crystal. That you know, it, it, they never were like you have to stick the crystal, and he just goes over and and does it. You know, not like there's instructions or anything. Right. Well, I get I. I guess to a certain degree it would be somewhat logical because looking at that control panel where he sticks that crystal, it's the only one that it's doesn't the only one that doesn't have already. something. In yeah, it. exactly. But still, it yeah, it is a bit of a reach. All right, here's my super geek out moment for the episode. Um, page sixteen, panel four. Han shoots two stormtroopers in the back. He says before he does it, "I'll just stun these guys." Sorry, has to be said. Stun blasts come out in blue rings. We learned right. that in the very first Star Wars movie. <laughs> I know it's super geeky, but these things bug me. Well, they cut out the line where he goes, Oh, shit, I forgot to set it for stun. <laughs> All right, I fused their backbone. Oh, well, it's the stormtroopers. <laughs> Live and learn. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. Now, why is he going to stun him and then he blows up the whole planet? <laughs> I'm going to stun him and kill him later. All right, hold on to your hat, because I'm going to blow your mind. Oh, man. Page 17, panel 4. Reading this issue, I I came back to it later, but reading this issue and getting to that panel, I was like, I've seen that somewhere. And Miracle of Miracles, it actually came back to me, and I remembered where I've seen this before. That is right out of the Russ Manning strip where Luke and Leia and that Han Solo stand-in-looking guy and the guy that looked like a human German shepherd, they're yeah. Imperials the same exact way on the Las Vegas planet, remember? Yes. They're, they're in a cross corridor like that, and then the I think it's the dog-looking guy that gets shot, remember? Mm-hmm. And he's laying, it's like it goes from one panel to the next because it, it was a weekly or a daily strip in the newspaper, and he got shot between strips. But I'm telling you, it, it, it looks exactly the same because you had the Imperials coming from each side of the corridor and the heroes were all, you know, like cowering together right there at that cross section. Like, you know, what are we going to do? Kind of. Th- I saw that and it just blew me away. I was like, that has got to be intentional. 
because it, it looks almost exactly the same. The positions and everything. That I thought that was really cool. It's so subtle, but it's really, really cool. If it's not uh, an homage, it's an, it's an amazing it's a big coincidence. coincidence. Yeah. Um, the issue overall I thought was meh. I mean, it's not bad. The art's very good. Um, the story's not bad. It's just, ultimately, it's just filler. It's kind of pointless. But, you know, that said, it, it, it was, you know, it wasn't bad. Um, on the letters page, a uh, guy wrote in uh, Chris Buckley from Livermore, California. Uh, at the very end, he says, whatever happened to Shira Bry? He says in issue 69, which was uh, five issues ago. They're way behind in the letters, by the way. He says, uh, we were left with her floating in a back-to-tank. Hasn't she recovered yet? And the answer Marvel gave, gave was, yes, she has. But you'll learn more about that in future issues. So this oh, is yes, we will. inkling that we will see Shira Bry again. That's, I'm pretty sure that's the very first time that, uh, that that gets referenced. I thought that was pretty cool. I like the uh, in the ads, there was a... Uh, Forget which page it's across from. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Is it the yeah, Hulk with the Cookie Crisp? Yes, it's the Cookie Crisp <laughs> ad. That's awesome because I, I like that they're actually showing real comic book covers here, and there's some really nice ones. You've got uh, the classic uh, "Welcome to the X Men, Rogue." You know, hope you survive the experience, or, or whatever. You know, it's something to that effect. Um, I think that's John Romita Jr. cover, if I'm not mistaken. This is where Ron Friends went to Amazing Spider-Man in the, mm-hmm. this is my favorite covers, the uh, homage cover to Amazing Fantasy 15, but this time with the black Spider-Man, the, uh, that classic, you know, the rumors are true, introducing the new Spider-Man. I love that cover. Great. I used to have that comic. I think I have that one signed by Roger Stern, if I'm not mistaken. And one of these days, I would love to get it signed by, uh, by Ron Friends, if I'm ever lucky enough to uh, run across him again. Great, great book. Love that issue. Uh, good issue of uh, Fantastic Four. That's the one where at the end of it, uh, you know, after uh, battling Doc Ock through the whole issue, uh, Reed Richards gets to the hospital at the at the very end. There's a, a, a big reveal uh, to the end of that story. I don't know if I want to spoil it or not, but that's a great, great book. Um, I don't remember what issue of Alpha Flight that one is. I can't make it out on here. And then you got Rom versus the Hulk, and that's a uh, again, Bill. You know, go, all goes back to Bill Senkovich this uh, this issue, but uh, that's a, a Senkovich cover, really nice one too. We're, We're gonna get a little Bill Senkovich in the next issue too. Are we? Yes, we are. Oh, excellent! You'll see. Excellent. You'll see. Now, I wanted to ask you. There's uh, one of those bullpen bulletin. Uh, columns in here by Jim Shooter and in the hype box it talks about uh, Marvel graphic novel number 10 says Rick Veach uh, wrote and drew this daringly different science fiction adventure tale Mm -hmm. set in a far distant earth uh, earth colony where people worship the sponsor do you know have you read this one is this it's called heartburst and it's fantastic cool that's one of the things that turned me on to Rick Veach actually I, I got that one back in high school and and it had lots of nudity in it, so I was just like, "Yeah, I'm <laughs> reading that got this." A green girl in it? Yes, I, I a very voluptuous it. green girl. Yeah, very Richard Corbin-y looking green girl. Yeah, I kind of vaguely remember that book. It's I mean, it's had, very had good. Green boobies in it. Yes, 
Yes, it was. It, it was really. It was a really good story. It was about. Yeah, it was about just sort. Of, basically, they would colonize other planets, and they'd had a whole religion formed around old TV broadcasts because they were out in space and they were far enough into the future that they weren't sure what the TV broadcasts were, but they were picking them up. So you know, the the all the altars were piles of TV sets with old TV. You know, you know, fifties and sixties TV shows on them and they had cobbled their whole belief system together out of that very star trek sort of idea you know but it's got the rick veitch spin on it you know there's a lot of uh metaphysical sort of weird weirdness going on you know you may have just solved a mystery for me because i i i've i remember we were talking about adult comics not long ago, and I remember having this mental image of one that I had seen when I was very young. And th- this book you're talking about, did it have full frontal nudity in it? I believe it did. All it right, didn't have any like graphic sex or anything. No, 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 nothing like that. But just stuff. yeah, it was I mean, pubic hair though in it. Okay, yes. that that's what I, that's what I was getting at because I remembered. When we were having that discussion, I had an image of, in my head of a of a green girl, almost like an Orion slave. Yes, Despite and the she's, fact that she was green, she still had pink nipples, and then she had like like blonde pubic hair. And I yes. think it's from that book. Yes, it is, and she's sort of standing in the classic Venus de Milo on the yes. half shell pose. Yes. yes, yeah, okay, wow. Well, you just solved a mystery for me. <laughs> Ah, we have the most interesting discussions. One of my favorite graphic novels of all time. If I, if I, I'm, I, I actually, I wrote an email to Rick Veitch trying to get him on the Funny Book Underground, and I'm going to ask him a lot about, about that. I think that comic he got that he did a, a thing in Epic, a sort of continuing series called Abraxas and the Earthmen, and I think that's what gave them the idea to have him do Heartburst. Hmm. Because it came out like almost right after that, I think the and the Abraxas one had a lot of, had a lot of boobs in it. It had like a tiger lady that had human boobs on her. I yeah okay I kind of vaguely remember that now because I have a few epic illustrators. I have a few. I have all the ones that had uh, John Burns' The Last Galactus story in it. I have all those mm-hmm. issues. And I'm I'm not sure if uh, if any of those have uh, the the Veach stuff they in might. it. I think they may have because that, that sounds familiar to me. The uh, the tiger lady with human boobs. <laughs> well, but, uh, huh? I was gonna say that's about uh, we're, we're straying away from the Star Wars. I think it's maybe time to move on to the next issue. Awesome. All right, so Star that's Wars. That's all you. <laughs> Star oh, Wars I- number eighty five. This is the uh, July 1984 issue. Again, the original cover price, still just 60 cents. Cover by the ever-awesome Bob McCloud. And yes. it looks like the beginning of a joke. It looks like, uh, well, it, it, it reads like this. <laughs> a Karelian, a, a, Scor- a I had to look this up where Lando was from. Where Lando's from. Yeah. So a Karelian. How about a black guy, a white guy, and a Wookiee walking into a bar? bar. (laughs) I didn't want to go there, but it is easiest, isn't it? Yes. Yes. If you're doing a joke, you you know, if you're already doing that joke, don't worry about the political correctness at that point. (laughs) If you're really worried, say an African American gentleman, a white guy, and a and a Wookiee walk into a bar. 
My favorite ver- variation of that joke, by the way, is a baby seal walks into a club. <laughs> <laughs> Short and sweet. If you don't get it, it's a way homer. Um, <laughs> Joe Duffy, script and plot, Bob McLeod, breakdowns, Tom Palmer finishes, Rick Parker, letters, Glennis Wine, colors, and Nascenti is now the editor of this title. Although we will see Louise Jones again for at least one issue, I do believe. Um, but for the most part, Andesenti's pretty much uh, taken over the, the regular editor chores. Now. And Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. This story is entitled The Hero. And uh, as the story opens, Lando Calrissian's old nemesis, Drebbel, is screaming Calrissian's name on the... Uh, I wonder if he knows Drezzle. I know. See, that, that was the thing that bugged me about Drezzle, was it's like two very... Two guys who, like, have a problem with saliva. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just it's they're two those two issues are too close together to have a name that similar you know what I mean it'd be like you know one issue it's Darth Vader and then the next one it's Ralph Nader it's like <laughs> Valf- too close you know Darth Vader yes exactly yeah exactly maybe they should have called this guy like uh, Leaky or something like that <laughs> <laughs> well Drebbel is uh, is screaming Calrissian's name on the title splash page as Bosk. IG-88 and this uh, Stanaxian dude look on and Drebbel, he's still all pissed off about being cheated by Lando and he swears that he's gonna have his revenge. So on the forest moon of Endor, the said cheat, Lando Carizian, is about to get his ass handed to him by one pissed off Chewbacca when his pal, Han Solo, talks Chewie out of it. Chewie, who had been sitting Indian style with Lando and Han while they played cards with Ewoks outside with one of their huts high up in the treetops. And, and I'm just, I'm going to take a moment to let that visual just settle in for you folks uh, of Han, Lando, and Chewie sitting Indian style playing cards. I heard it was strip poker, and that's why the Ewoks <laughs> are naked. <laughs> so Chewie storms off in a huff. And Han explains to Lando that, uh, you know, Chewie, he's, he's missing his family. It's been a long time since he's got a chance to go home and any, or anything. And he, he's just feeling lonely. But he feels also that he can't leave yet because they're not entirely sure that the, that the war is really over, that, you know, all the fires have been put out. So he, he's still hanging around. He still has his life debt and all that sort of thing. Just then, Wedge Antilles stops by, and uh, he wants to let the fellows know that Admiral Akbar and Mon Mothma are calling a special meeting. So at this powwow, the uh, new Star Wars mission statement is reiterated that we are on a diplomatic mission. And Akbar wraps up the conference by mentioning that the Alliance is seeking a man that they feel that they need to pin a medal on for his extraordinary service to the Rebellion during the war. And this person's name is... Captain Drebble. And of course, this is due to Lando. You know, he was liberally tossing that name around whenever he was operating in disguise during that period in between The Empire Strikes mm-hmm. and Return of the Jedi. So this whole thing has backfired on him because his his heroics are now being attributed to his, his arch enemy. Just kind of funny. It's a, it's a cute little setup. So Han signs up for one of the uh, the diplomatic missions. Uh, on the Alliance's itinerary so that they will pass by Chewie's homeworld and they can hopefully drop you know their pal off so he can get some Wookiee Nookie and kind of mellow his ass out a little bit. And Lando tags Yeah, him. no shit. He's been <laughs> kind of cranky for yes, sure. 
So Lando's it's on a space period for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, you gotta feel bad for the guy. You know, I mean, this life debt thing probably would get to be kind of a pain in the ass after a while. You would think it's like you would think Wookies by being kind by their nature would probably be into mating a lot too. You know, so <laughs> and and at being a Wookie, they really can't go and get themselves a hooker because they're gonna like breaker or something so yeah he's probably pretty frustrated he's probably looking at some of the ewok ladies going well maybe you know what he needs he needs deanna troy That's oh yeah well, if she could handle a klingon she can handle a wookie he can handle a wookie yeah she's all about the wookie anyway <laughs> Lando tax- would be funny is if it, if it came down to it and it turned out like wookies are hung like mice too it'd be just like oh like an ape. Sorry, Deanna. <laughs> well, they say gorillas are like that. Like they they got they got tiny. I don't know. Uh, this is getting into weird territory. Yeah, now. Let's let's Somebody, keep, I, keep I, on I with the story. Ah, uh, nope, so nope, uh, junk. <laughs> so Lando he, he tags along, and the trio winds up on this planet Kiorin, which is the hunter's world, and there they meet very briefly with the boss of the place. They make their pitch about the alliance and the new government and blah blah blah. And then they all retire to the local watering hole where they're just kind of hanging out and enjoying themselves when in walks Bosk, the bounty hunter. And Chewie and Lando, you know, they they try to stay on the down low and kind of, you know, just put their heads down and, and not be seen. But Han, you know, he doesn't know what the hell is up. And he gets really upset with his friends and, and demands an explanation. And they kind of recap in brief what happened back in issue 79 when they uh, sicked more bounty hunters on the then-frozen Han Solo, you know, just in an attempt to get more people out there looking for Han, you know, and they were telling these space pirate guys that Han was like, you know, this galaxy's Indiana Jones and he could help them locate this missing god idol thing that they were looking for and all that. It was kind of a weird story, and yes. but it's cool that it actually ties back into what's going on in this one. So the trio, you know, they decide to pay their bill and quietly leave to avoid any possible confrontations with Bosk. And Lando rings for the barkeep. Barkeep comes out of the back, and it's Drebble. Drebble and Lando are suddenly face-to-face in this bar. And that's where the issue goes off on a good old-fashioned Star Wars chase scene for pretty much the entire rest of the issue as, you know, Drebble orders his minions to, you know, get them kind of thing and... uh, I, I would have had him say, you drebble scum. Right? <laughs> that would have been funny. <laughs> so Han and Chewie and Lando, you know, they take to the streets, and there's a lot of classic comic book style, you know, running and then backpedaling and, you know, gunfighting through the streets. And, you know, it eventually leads them to a near run-in with uh, part of Limo and Sandra's gang from Arcan 4. Now, this is, you know, those are the people that were looking for that God Idol thing back in issue 79 again. And eventually, Han, Lando, and Chewie, they make a mad dash to the Millennium Falcon. And they actually get there. They reach the ship, but Drebble and his pet Stanaxians are waiting for them. So our heroes are stun-blasted, and Drebble hauls away his prize, Lando Calrissian, just as the Arkans show up demanding that, you know, he get that Drebble gives Solo and the Wookiee to them. Well, you know, Drebble, he doesn't care about them at all. He's not interested in them in the first place. So he hands them over and is like, you know, do with him what you will. He only wanted Lando. So Han and Chewie, they're locked up and they're threatened by Limo. 
when Han gets an idea that uh, to kind of set Drebble up in this situation. So he reveals that he, he has no idea where this goddess thing is that they're looking for, uh, but he tells them that they've been lied to and they've been played by Drebble. And back aboard the Millennium Falcon, Lando wakes up and he finds himself, you know, captive of Drebble and Bosk and IG-88. And in Drebble's impatience to get going and not knowing how the Falcon works, he starts mashing buttons and just happens by miracle coincidence, he pulls up the exact right hologram of Mon Mothra proclaiming Captain Drebble a hero of the Alliance and calling for him to get a commendation and a decoration. And Drebble, of course, you know, he doesn't know what the hell this is all about, but he's pleased with himself anyway. And a plan starts to form in Lando's head when there's these voices outside the ship that are calling Drebble out. And they say, you know, they've got their his friends and they're going to kill him if he doesn't come out and show himself. And he doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. But he sticks his head out to see what's going on and they almost shoot him you know almost take his head off so suddenly even though he doesn't know what's going on and and is confused by the whole situation just the fact that they shot at him now it's on so back at the arkans place uh han and chewie trick their way out of uh, captivity and rush to lando's aid arriving at the millennium falcon just as Drebble and lando who has uh, managed to sweet-talk his way out of handcuffs, present themselves to Limo and Limo's crew as part of this plan that Lando came up with to try to get out of this whole thing. Solo and Chewie, you know, they interfere and this big blaster fight breaks out. And when the dust clears, Limo and Sandra are left standing just alone by themselves and their crew has been entirely taken out. And it's not ever made clear if they're dead or if they were just stunned or what. And Drebble and his people, you know, they're they're the clear winners in this battle. But, surprise, surprise, Drebble is now all chummy with Lando and wants to know where his commendation from the Alliance is. So Lando, you know, he's all too happy to oblige and he goes and gets a reward and comes back out. Here's how it goes down. He says, here you are, Drebble. A rare man deserves a rare gift. Enjoy it in good health and always remember, you've earned whatever fortune it brings you. And he hands him the dancing goddess, which was the thing that Limo and Sandra have been looking for all this time. And it's just, that's that's how the story ends. And it's just beautifully set up that you can tell he's... Treble's getting the knife in the back. He's getting the knife in the back, exactly. Because you can see by the looks on uh, Limo and Sandra's faces that, uh, you know, now they're now they're going to set upon Drebble to get this thing that they've been searching for. So I, yeah, and I like yep. that it's just left at that. Yeah, yep. it's just he ties up all he he goes out and he manages to tie up all his his you know the the I guess it's a mess that he made. Right. <laughs> I uh, I thought it was very cleverly wrapped up in this issue, um, but I've got uh, I've got quite a few notes on this. And what what did you think? What have you got on this one? I thought it was I thought once again very well. The, I I like the art even better in this this issue a because it's got ig88 and and i love when they when there's nice detailed star wars art you know when Mm -hmm. when it's when it's and this is this is a fine example of that and it's got that star wars feel of you know space plus you know uh, uh just a regular cd 
you know, town on a CD planet sort of thing. I like it. It's just a, it's just a good adventure. It ties up a bunch of loose ends. I sort of wondered where it was going at first. I thought it started out kind of weakly. The whole, you know, the whole with the with the card game and the Ewoks, and I thought it was a bit of a stretch that you know a, that Akbar is like, yeah, we're gonna, you know, and Mon Mothra are like, you know, we're gonna give Drebble a medal. You know, I don't think they would really pay that much attention or be like picking people out of the universe to to give medals to right but uh it doesn't look like chewy really gets to get his wookie nookie in this either not yet not Not yet yet. but um i like that i i i I, maybe they just like the stenaxians but the stenaxians really didn't seem to have an awful lot of use being in here you know what i mean other than just to be sort of brought back Right, but, yeah. I'm wondering how in the world, you know, what could he possibly have, have offered them or what that now he has, uh, you know, Drebble, I mean, has Stenaxian bodyguards. How guards, does that work? Yeah. I don't know. It just, it didn't make sense, but it's the, the Stenaxians are kind of cool. You know, they they were just another, it was just basically one of those things where everybody's chasing after everybody else and everybody converges and they have to you know, twist it to, to, to get their way out of it. And and I like that Lando's the one who has to do all the twitch twitching, twisting, you know, and, and right. it's usually Han that's the the mastermind to this. But you know, I can see where in the last few issues they've been really like, let's try to get Lando more involved in this. Let's try to cause, you know, man of adventure type thing. So they're and now, you know, there's sort of uh, like like I was, I think I was saying this last month. You know, that sort of a uh, having Lando and Han are almost ha- like having two variations on the same character. So you know, right? So, but they're they're trying to figure out how they're gonna they're gonna use them all. You know, right. one at one at a time. You know, and well, you know, we had a little bit with Luke, and now we're doing and, and Leia coming up because we ain't seen her. <laughs> around much these days I have to be honest I've never been terribly keen on this cover um, you know Drebble and the aliens look really great but the rhinoceros guy just by the way his head is turned he actually looks like a cyclops or something like like a cyclops with like two horns I don't know it's just very odd but after reading the issue I realized that he's turning his head but it, it still, it, he just looks a little bit funny to me. And then I, I don't think that Han looks like he's walking into a fart. Yeah, <laughs> I mean Han, Lando, and Chewie—they they all just look a little bit off to me. So not one of my favorite covers, but I mean it's more than made up for in the interior art. The interior art in this one is really, really good. I, I thought the inking was was really extraordinary in this, and it's weird because a lot of the the little tricks in the art with the inking and the shading and that sort of thing normally i would attribute that to bob mcleod when mcleod is inking but he didn't ink he did the breakdown so it's kind of weird you know like the the first panel on page two for example um i mean that i can see mcleod's hand all over that but it looks like a mcleod inking job so i i don't know i guess you know, 
I'm not sure how that how that came out in the art, but there there were some other uh, moments in this too with uh, with the inking and and shading, where uh, it really you know like that's a perfect example. Page twelve, that third panel of Han Chewie and Lando in the dark. It's just, I mean, that is totally Bob McCloud right down to the way that it's inked, too. So, I'm, you know, I mean, maybe this was even a, a bigger collaborative effort between the two artists. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. It's, it's, but it's very interesting. I like the Falcon in the bottom of that page, too. Yeah. That's a nice... The Falcon has just been drawn very nicely the last couple of issues, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, let's see what else. Well, pay, um... Where, let's see, I had notes in something of an order. Now, Drebble, you know, again, you know, he reminds me of uh, of Big Bertha. Now, she's actually from the Great Lakes Avengers, if if you know which, which character yes. I'm talking about. I think I've made that same reference before, but I think I said that she was on Alpha Flight the last time I mentioned her. And that, that character, the big fat woman <laughs> in Alpha Flight, that's Pink Pearl who is ginormous, but she doesn't look a thing like Drebbel. The one I was thinking of was uh, was Big Bertha. And yeah, there's a lot of panels in this where he he looks like a woman. He looks like he's a... Got, well, he's got that moo-moo. Moo-moo, yeah, exactly. So yeah, he does. He looks a lot like Big Bertha. I thought that was really funny. The Ewoks actually look like movie Ewoks for, I think, for the first time, honestly. Yes. Although I say that and then I see... The very first time you see the Ewoks, that very first panel where they're playing cards, again they've they've got knees, whereas I don't think that the Ewoks in the in the movie had much of, I mean they did, but much of of knees. You know what I mean? Their legs yes, are so it, short and stumpy that they really don't have segmented legs. You know, but, but by the time you get a couple pages further, they're they're back to those short little legs when they show them standing up. Right. Those. Ewoks I mean, they've. That, I'm sorry. And they've got them with like their legs dangling off the side and stuff, and like holding on to the side of the you know the rail with their legs and stuff. And it's like, no, they're kind of stumpy. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the panel just before he plummeted to his death, chasing <laughs> that to get butterfly. Butterfly, yeah. <laughs> but those Ewoks at the bottom of page four, right there, those are the movie Ewoks. Whereas Ewoks up till now didn't. I don't think they really looked strongly like the ones that were actually in the movie um i mean i remember being really excited at the prospect of uh, possibly getting to see kashik again you know because that's mentioned here that you know they're going to try to get chewy you know to his home planet and i remember you know reading this as a kid for the first time being you know just really jazzed oh my god i hope they're going to kashik you know i hope we get to see mala and lumpy and you know that whole thing and uh you guys are just going to have to hang in there with us to find out. Yeah. Do they or don't they? And page four. This is Wedge? Uh, funny how it doesn't look a damn thing like him. <laughs> he looks like G.I. Joe or something. He does. <laughs> he doesn't look like Wedge. He's got a little American Indian or Hispanic. He looks a little Charles Bronson-y, actually. <laughs> <laughs> he does look like Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson, Rebel Pilot. Yeah, he he does. <laughs> he totally does. Um, man, I just noticed that that eyebrowless Han on the bottom of page four looks really freaky. He looks like 
he looks like some actor. I don't know what the actor's name, but he always plays like a like an alien or like a serial killer or something. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I didn't notice that he didn't have no eyebrows. Everybody looks weird with no eyebrows. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, page six. This was the one I want you to Photoshop. Second panel. That's Chewie totally going. What the. <laughs> <laughs> the next panel looks like Lando's trying to do a force, you know, sort of thing on him. Right. <laughs> These aren't the droids you're looking for. Rune? <laughs> Chewie's got some great lines. Yeah. That last, that next to last panel of him going, hooray! <laughs> Hurrah! I'm getting some. <laughs> That's the Wookiee equipl- equivalent of Yippee! We said going home. <laughs> uh, it's awesome. I like the aliens in this particular issue because, for the most part, they look totally like Star Wars aliens for a change. I mean, I've liked a lot of the aliens we've seen in prior issues, but they but- look like bizarre science fiction magazine aliens or something you know yeah they do they they look like they're from like the muppet show or something whereas Mm -hmm. these look like something that you know might have actually been built and and been in the movie so i thought that was pretty cool i like the uh there's the one bounty hunter that's part of um limo's crew i'm trying to remember let me see if i can find where you see them for the very first time yeah, it's on. Uh, it's on page ten. It's that third panel. The guy that's basically wearing Han's old Star Wars getup, but he's the ball-headed. Well, actually, they're both ball-headed guys. He's the he's the ball-headed alien guy as opposed to the ball-headed. He's like a proto Cad Bane or something. He's because I think yeah, be like of that same race. Um, I I, just, I thought he was really cool looking. Yeah, and he was a bounty hunter too. So that's yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's funny. There's a lot uh, um, when they put him up in the binders. It reminds me of episode two when they have Obi Wan mm-hmm. hung up. When Dooku has Obi Wan hung up. That's true. Absolutely. Page uh, thirteen, third panel again with the stun beams being wrong. Yeah, because they get shot like center mass, like they're all being executed, but it turns out they're just stun. But not how stun beams work. Um. But just wrapping the whole thing up, I, I thought it was a really enjoyable tale. I, I liked that it nicely wrapped up a story that didn't necessarily need wrapping up or didn't need a callback, but... They had fun with it. They I, just yeah, did they, it for fun. They did it for fun, and uh, and it actually kind of redeemed a story. You know, I remember us reviewing it and going, eh, that was all right, but, you know, it was ultimately kind of mm-hmm. pointless. Well, here, you know, he, he brought that story back and, and tied it all up, and... So now it makes a nice little companion piece. And I, I thought that was pretty cool because, you know, told all together as a, as a continuing story, it, it's actually pretty cool now. There's a, there's a richness of universe there that I think is pretty neat. Yeah, and there's a little bit of, pay, you know, pay, payback going back and forth and switching, with, switching back and forth. I, I liked it. At, at, at the, the very first few pages until they get off Endor, I was going... Yeah, this is a little clunky, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, yeah, playing cards with the Ewoks and, <laughs> and and all that. But but once they get once they get onto the you know, 
And it's funny because this is another sort of Han Solo in, a, in the barroom story, but it's it, it's not getting old at least. So I, I, I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I mean, you almost can't go wrong with this art. This is like... Oh, yeah. Just, I mean... I mean, I love like... Like my favorite Star Wars art is, is like Al Williamson. But second to that is not even a specific artist, but when they hit this sort of... You know, uh, t- I, I guess I would put more of it on Tom Palmer, you know, that it, right to where it had that consistent look to it. And when they had to- when you know, when they had time to do the art, oh, it, it's just gorgeous. You know, sometimes you can tell they don't have as much time and it's a little hurried, but you can tell with this one, they took their time. It's detailed and beautifully layered there's always like five layers of people and things going on almost in every frame it's very nice it's it's what i would refer to as on model you know it's Mm -hmm. on model without looking photo reference that's that's what i like you know in in the art it's it's really good i mean everybody looks like who they're supposed to be and i think that that's really cool i actually thought the most awkward moment toward the beginning of the issue before the the tale really really picks up is the actual meeting with akbar and mon mothma they literally go to like they call it a clearing but now that i look at it it's not really so much a clearing as it's like an avenue up, up in the trees, up in the Ewok village, you know, this is like a common area or something. And the rebels are all leaning around, you know, on the, on the handrails and stuff. And you've actually got the Ewoks in attendance and they look like they're paying like rapt attention to everything that Mon Mothma is saying. I'm I mean, telling you, they're just looking at Akbar going, mm, man, mm, it smells good. <laughs> they're just like, we're just waiting for the fish guy to drop. <laughs> Go get the tart or the uh, sauce. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna batter him up and deep but fry him. I just don't see. I mean, I can see Mon Mothma maybe coming down one time for a visit with like Chief Chirpa just to thank him for his assistance and all that. But not I hanging don't out. See there. her hanging out, and this is now like the new rebel leader headquarters no she would be back up on the flagship you know directing things from up there not hanging around with the, with the screw heads down on the planet i just don't buy that for a minute mm-hmm. you know not to <laughs> just go down and say we're gonna give this guy dreble a medal too you know you know that would be like uh now i'm gonna show my historical ignorance but you know, who was it like king george or whatever you know back in like colonial times you know all right, well, now now we've established a foothold in America, so I'm going to move out of Buckingham Palace and I'm going to go, you know, live in this, you know... Go influence. live in the colonies, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go shit in a hole in the f- ground after <laughs> after having this gold toilet. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I'm going to go live with Pocahontas and her people. It's <laughs> like, no, no, this, this doesn't happen, you know? So, no, I don't quite buy that. <laughs> But I did. I did enjoy it. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was a good issue. I really got a kick out of um, the letters page. I've actually been reading the letters pages and uh, and trying to glean some stuff out of them. And there was there's a great one here. First letter is from uh, James Boggs. And let me see if I can find the part of it. Oh, he he called out Marvel. Yes. 
for issue number 74, which was the I first read this time one too. That they visited. Um, damn it, what is the name of that planet? The uh, first water world? No, well, yeah, that one, but also the, the one where Kiro lived. They, they were just, they went back there. It had the effect. Iskalon. Iskalon effect. He called them out because when they were on Iskalon, and I, I remember commenting on this when we did our did. coverage of that issue, that Luke said something to the effect of, basically, I've never seen a water planet like this before. I've never seen oceans before, something like that. And we were both like, dude, your very first post-Star Wars adventure was a friggin' water planet. How do you not remember that? How about and, that cartoony world, too? Yeah, Some, exactly. Christmas special. And, uh, and this guy, James Boggs, pointed that out. Well, here's their answer. Says James, when Luke said, I've never seen oceans like these anywhere, the key words were like these. Uh, neither he uh, nor we had forgotten Drexel, uh, but as even people who travel around our own Earth know, no two oceans are ever quite the same. Each one has a slightly different character, and to a young man who had never seen a large body of water until he was an adult, the differences are more marked and remarkable. Uh. <laughs> Bullshit! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Translation, uh, we we done screwed up. That's that's <laughs> bullshit, man. That's just I'm sorry. if if you're not used to water worlds, they all look the alike to you, you know? Hey, yes, he's from a he's from a desert planet, so exactly they would he all could look tell he could go to a different desert planet and be like, I don't know, the grains of sand are a little big for this one, you know, the difference. Right. But yeah, he's not one to judge yeah. Yeah. L- l- yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I also got a kick out of the uh, the last letter here from Angela Mullins from uh, Whitesburg, Connecticut. She uh, calls for more mythical characters like unicorns and centaurs <laughs> and i'm not making that up and she also uh, says that uh, if you're thinking of bringing back shira bry please don't which i thought was uh, she calls her el finko well she's probably like 10 years old is what i'm guessing right, right. i'm hoping but i got a kick out of that i was like uh more mythical characters unicorns and centaurs would be nice yeah, I want to. I, I, that's that's what I want to read in my Star Wars. I see Han and Luke and Chewie with uh, centaurs and unicorns. Unicorns with laser s- horns, lightsaber <laughs> horns. It's okay. I take it back. That would be awesome. I would love to see like Darth Vader versus Luke Skywalker, and they're each riding like a My Little Pony that has a lightsaber coming out of the top of its head. That would be awesome. Yep. I'd yep. pay money for that. It that, could be, lasers. that could be episode seven. I would totally be down for that. <laughs> like, like, uh, and not not lightsabers, light jousting poles or whatever the hell they. Yeah, call. yeah, yeah. That would be cool. All oh, right. like, okay. We need to write this. My little lightsaber pony. <laughs> My little lightsaber pony, sweet little lightsaber pony. <laughs> I'm you fit I'm... right up my ass. Well, did I say that? <laughs> I didn't. I'm sorry. Please bleep that out. I'm getting a kick out of the fact that every next issue box for like, I don't know, like what, like dozen issues now has said that the next issue is going to be still active after all these years. And we still won't have that be the next issue. It, it just ain't active. 
No, it's not. It's uh, the next issue. What's funny is that Anna Senti must have been asleep at the wheel in this particular one because it that says the Alderaan factor on the page right opposite <laughs> of it. Opposite page, exactly. And that actually is the next issue, the Alderaan factor. And so, yeah, how did, yeah, I don't know how things will happen, but uh, I'm looking forward to that because seriously, that is one of my all time favorite issues of this entire series. And. Fingers crossed, maybe we'll have a, uh, a special guest along for that one. I'm hoping, anyway. That would be I'm nice. Yes. Try my best. But uh, let's see. I had uh, just a couple other quick, quick things on this one. And ju- jump in anytime you got other notes on this one at all. I pretty much got through all my notes on the actual story. My other notes are all on the ads. Which, one, which ones do you so- have for ads? Well, my favorite ad in this is the Power Man and Iron Fist ad by Bill Sienkiewicz. Yes. It looks actually like Frank Miller. My, mm-hmm. my first thought was when I saw his, not the hand that's pointing, but the hand that's held up to his mouth, like cupping his mouth, mm-hmm. it totally looks like Frank Miller inked by Klaus Janssen. Yes, it does. That looks like an inked by Klaus Janssen hand. But then down, and I'm like looking for the FM on it, but no, it's got a BS on it. And yep. we all know what that in inside the little uh, inside the little rectangle, yep. and that that was my that was my definite favorite favorite ad. I like in, this, in, and this is the, the this is a this is a classic. There were two of them, and uh, one of them was was Iron Fist, and then the other one was Luke Cage actually threatening the reader, which is a which is just a hoot. But this one is cool because it's uh it's power, or yeah uh, Iron Fist rather, and like you say he's he's got one hand cupped up to his mouth and he's pointing off screen, you know, off panel. And he's saying, listen, power man's not here right now. So we have a few seconds to talk. He says, the problem is he found out that some of you aren't buying our magazine and that's making him well mad. When he gets mad, he breaks things and people. And this is an ad for power man and iron fist. And every time I would see this ad, I'd always think the same thing, which was, you know, maybe if your book, you know, what would feature art in it, that was awesome as this ad, maybe I'd buy it once in a while. You know, just 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 saying. Because <laughs> that book consistently had shit art. Really art. Really bad art. <laughs> that was the problem with that book. And they, they tried to bolster it up for a while by having these just gorgeous John Byrne covers. But it just, you know. And I've, I've heard that it's actually a really well-written series. But, uh, yeah, I could, I could just never get art in that book. And then it's got on the last page the the ever popular bedhead like hangover Hulk in the diaper with the 1984. <laughs> he totally it's like the Alfred E. Newman but like his, coming out of a Bender Hulk. He got his adult diapers on. Who changes that diaper? You figure? Uh, <laughs> no one. <laughs> Maybe that's why uh, General Ross hates the Hulk so much. <laughs> but it's uh. It's um. I'm assuming it was John Severin. It looks a little bit. It says it says SEV, so it's a Severin. So I'm thinking it's John Severin by the by the um signature. That's a good eye. Signature looks. I'm a big John Severin fan, so I'm always looking for him. He's got big feet. John Severin or the Hulk? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, John Severin has huge feet. Well, it's sort of the Mad Magazine version of Hulk. Right, what was right. the Marvel version? Was like Crazy Magazine. Crazy, yes. yes. So this was like the the Crazy Magazine version of yeah. And 
And then they have the what looks like a not very appealing ad for the Masters of the Universe video game. Which I don't remember that video game I, if it was very... Yeah. But it's another 2600 style one where it's got like, you know, picture... Actually, the He-Man picture isn't very good, but it's better than the graphics of the video game. <laughs> That's for sure. I liked in the last one they had like on the back page, they had like, here's all the different versions of Frogger you can play. You can play it on every, you know, platform. And you see all the, or not Frogger, it was Popeye. And you see it, and it looks like Popeye the video game, and then it gets to the Atari 2600, and it's just like blobs on a screen. <laughs> the, the one I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that you didn't mention is uh, opposite page 16. It's the, uh, the ad. It's the bottom part. The top part of the ad is talking about upcoming comic book conventions, but the lower part of the ad Oh is, yeah, is the Marvel House ad for like T-shirts and pennants Banners, and buttons pennants, and bumper yeah. stickers, dude? I'm telling you right now, and I'm not, I'm not kidding. I would napalm a puppy farm for this Walt Simonson Thor T-shirt. That is awesome. Isn't that cool? It's the one right yeah. there in the middle, the blue one in the middle. Yeah, yeah. isn't that gorgeous? I want. I wonder how much this stuff is going for on eBay now, like those pennants, you know. Yeah, I've what, never seen Alpha one of those. Alpha Flight pennant. Yeah, A I've John never Byrne seen Alpha like Flight that. pennant. Oh, it's uh, yeah. I mean that. Well, that one, that T-shirt to the right of the Thor T-shirt. That's the cover of Alpha Flight number one by Byrne. I do believe. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Now I've never been big on um, John Romita Jr.'s X-Men, but that uh, that Wolverine one's not bad either. Actually, how much are these T-shirts? Ten bucks. I know. That was expensive back then. Yeah. But god damn do I love uh Walt Simonson's Thor. And that's just oh that's an awesome awesome. I even show. like how he he did the, you know, title of Thor. How like yeah. the Simonson art sort of gave it that a little that extra little pointiness yeah. of his. And it made it look older. It made it look like an old Norse I you know, they obviously wouldn't be writing in English, but you know, it's it's just neat. Right. I uh, across from page seventeen, the lower part of the uh, ad in that one. <laughs> this is the ad. It I looks call. like they just blew up that picture too much. It's right. Here's call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All work and no play makes call a dull boy. <laughs> the uh, bullpen bulletins this time around uh, was kind of interesting because it was talking all about Quest Probe. Which, uh, if I'm thinking of the right series, this was the one that was supposed to be like the, you know, Marvel was going to get on board with the whole video game craze and get all into video games and publish, you know, this comic series that was all video game relevant and everything. And if I'm thinking of the right series, they didn't even finish it. It it, it was like so just bad tanked. that it just tanked and they, they didn't even finish the thing. And then there was also a mention in the hype box for... Uh, Alpha Flight number 12 by Byrne, where uh, that was actually a pretty important issue where uh, the the leader of the team got uh, got offed. And, uh, offed? Yeah, it was pretty. Did you ever read Alpha Flight? Yes, I did. Was, I, I, I think I had the first, you know, like dozen, the first like year of issues. I used mm-hmm. to have like the first appearance of Alpha Flight. I used to have like, wasn't Sasquatch in an earlier issue of something too like an issue of the hulk or something like that yeah yeah there was a i know wolverine was but yeah. i'm there was a really good hulk annual with uh 
with uh, uh, Sasquatch and the Hulk. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm thinking of the right book, I think that was written by Stern and drawn or inked by Byrne, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, I pretty much lost interest in Alpha Flight once Byrne was gone. I think pretty yeah, but that yeah happened. I, I feel the same way. I mean, the the first twenty, it was like twenty eight or twenty nine issues, are, are all that was ever really worth reading of that. After that, it was like, okay, these guys are, you know, I'm pretty much done with Alpha Flight. I, I dropped in from time to time just to check up and see what they were doing, but it just never, you know, never had that that spark again after that. Yeah. But I continue to like Sasquatch as a character, though. He's he's actually pretty cool. I first uh, saw that. Uh, uh, contest of champions. That was the first time I ever saw Sasquatch. We we still got to cover that book at some time because that's that's a yeah book. That's a great series. Well, it occurred to me uh, while I was sitting down to do these, and I, I was looking at something on Dark Horse's website that you know we have been completely remiss on this show about ever mentioning the fact that I think everything that we've ever covered in this series has been reprinted at least once. We've never really mentioned that before, so I just wanted to make mention that both of these issues, uh, Star Wars 84 and 85, uh, have been reprinted. They were reprinted back in uh, 99 in the, uh, it was a series called Classic Star Wars a long time ago, and it was a series of several trade paperbacks, and uh, these issues were in volume six of that. And then they were just very recently, within the last few months, reprinted in volume four of the Star Wars Omnibus a long time ago series, which is definitely worth picking up. That's It's such a beautifully uh, done series, and the art really pops in that because they recolored a lot of it and uh, cleaned up the artwork and stuff. It looks really good. But, you know, I was noticing that uh, they just solicited the last, what, what they're calling, according to... Um, Dark Horse's website, they're billing it as the last one of the Omnibus series. And I was noticing that it's going to stretch from issues, I think it was 86. Yeah, 86 to 107 says their final uh, U.S. published issues. And then that's, according to this, this is the last one. This is going to be it. Well, I thought the whole point of this thing was to not only reprint the the Marvel, you know, the US Marvel Comics run, but I thought they had originally stated that they were going to get all the British stuff the British that was stuff and you know all the really rare stuff that it, you know, has, has never been reprinted. I thought that was the whole point of this series. If all they've done is the original 107 issues um plus the Return of the Jedi um adaptation then as nice as it is and as awesome as it is to own it and everything, I, I almost am like, wow, what was the point of that? Because I thought they were they were going to do all this. So I'm wondering if this solicit is actually complete, you know, if it really is telling everything that's going to be in there. Because I also noticed I was looking through to see what was contained in, you know, the last several of these omnibuses and the new one that's uh, being solicited, the last one that's being solicited. I don't see Annual 3 mentioned anywhere. And we haven't covered it here on the show yet. And we actually should have covered it a while ago because that's a pre-Return of the Jedi story. We'll eventually cover Annual Number 3 because we're coming up on a story that refers back to Annual 3. So it is actually relevant to what we're covering at some point. Whereas we never covered Annual 1 or 2 either. 
we probably will eventually. I'm not sure, but those stories are actually. I think not, we should. We, yeah, I, I think we should as well, just to be complete. But those stories are never referred to in the series, so they're not actually relevant. You know what I mean? Whereas issue annual three is relevant to the overall series because, as we'll see, there's a character coming along that we're going to meet that actually ties back into annual three. And so it looks like by the solicit, the annual three is not part of this last uh, omnibus. So how does that work? You know, there, it's like there's going to be a chunk missing. So it, it's really weird because this was supposed to be like the ultimate, like authoritative reprint, you know, that was going to give you everything kind of thing. And I don't know. Now it's not looking quite that way, but still, I love, have you seen the cover to volume no. what it's going to look like here? I'll send you the link real quick. Take a look at this. It's gorgeous. I can't do it while we're on the air. Oh, okay. Well, it's uh it's a Cynthia Martin cover. I think it's actually from one of the issues. Uh-huh. It's either from one of the issues or it's like an homage to a cover from one of the issues. It's gorgeous. It's a Cynthia Martin Stormtrooper. It's it's got a Stormtrooper in the in the foreground, and then uh, Stormtroopers and the guy in the background, and it's pretty pretty badass. I think it's a, a really cool cover. And uh, but they, you know they really have picked some of the more iconic images from this run, you know, to use as the covers on the on the omnibuses because the one for the volume before this, uh, volume four was that beautiful cover that we both liked that was uh, it looked like Boba Fett but it turned out it was actually Fen Shisa that right, right. we liked and then before that they used um, it was, a, it, they used it as a cover but it was actually that final splash page reveal of vader stepping out of the light there where he goes luke skywalker i have come for you they use that as the cover for i think that was volume three so i mean they've used some of the some of the really best art you know best uh like splashes and covers and stuff for the cover images of these books so they know what the people want give them what they want pretty much well i think what the people want is some indiana jones but I think what I want is to take a big whiz. <laughs> okay. Well, we can accommodate both of those requests. Let's take a break. We'll, we'll play a trailer or two, and uh, I'll let you relieve your bladder, and I'm going to get a fresh drink. And we will come back, and we will uh, have our introductory segment to the further adventures of Indiana Jones. Geek and Geek is a podcast for the geek and everyone. Please join your hosts, Peregrine and D-Man, each week as they discuss all the things that geek guys love to talk about from the sci-fi, fantasy, and comic genres. For movies, TVs, comics, novels, and games, seek out Definitive Geek. Available on iTunes or at DefinitiveGeek.Podomatic.com. Hey, Obi-Wan, your lightsaber's showing. Kick his ass, Shag. Live long and pray! Suck it, Frodo! I'm sick of being a goddamn scarecrow. I'll give this podcast thing a try. Later. Two! True! 
Thank you for calling the Tales of the Justice Society of America 24-hour live human being customer service hotline. Hello, I... Unfortunately, all uh, of our representatives are sleeping. Or busy. Uh, busy. All of our representatives are busy right now. But if you stay on the line, your call will be answered in reverse Hungarian alphabetical order, starting with the letter... Forget. Okay. Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line. Alright. We are experiencing longer than usual wait times. Your call will be answered in... 11,000... ...minutes. Please continue to hold. Your call is extremely important to us. Please stay on the line. Check us out on the web at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com Your call is ridiculously important to us. Yeah, but call so important, then why don't you answer it? What the fuck is taking so long? You may be asking yourself, what the fuck is taking so long? Um, Please be sure that while your call is of vital importance to us, we will get to it when we're good and goddamn, um, rather, um, we'll be with you shortly. Please continue to hold. Answer. And so they got them. <laughs> Let me check. Is he still there? Ah! Well, guys, he's still holding. Oh! We're sorry for your wait. Please continue to hold. God damn it! Tales of the Justice Society of America returns soon with brand new episodes. Stay tuned. Clouds of war gather ominously over Europe, 
the Great Depression grips the world. But one globe-trotting archaeologist thirst for adventure and discovery remains undaunted by his times. Stan Lee presents The Further Adventures of Indiana Jones. Welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday, and as you have just heard, it's a brand new segment. We're kicking it off now. We're doing a little Raiders of the Lost Ark every episode. We figured what goes better, what two flavors go better together than Star Wars and and Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. So after a little debate, we decided the first thing we should we should start right off with with our Indiana Jones comics is the Marvel Comics adaptation of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. And it, I, it, it, I'm looking at the Marvel Super Special Magazine number 18 yes. version of it. But there was also, I believe it was a three three issue miniseries, which I swore I had. I swore I bought it in one of those plastic bag sets. And uh, I wonder if I have yours. It was like if Marvel I, movie special or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Well, I, I was actually gonna gonna mention that. Um, but you know, now that I think about it, I know at one time I had doubles of of the because the Raiders was uh, it, it came out first as the super special that you mentioned, Marvel Comics Super Special Magazine number eighteen has a gorgeous, gorgeous cover on it by Howard Chaikin. Indy looks just like me on the cover, which is really totally awesome really captures my total buffness. I like that a lot. But, I, man, why have we never seen this this image anywhere else? This should be a t-shirt or a poster or something. Yeah, I know. It's Howard Chaikin. It's, like, classic. It's, it's beautiful. It's It could have been a movie poster, really, for it. It's, it's yeah. just gorgeous. Well, what's neat, ca- you can spend, like, an hour just, you know, roaming your eyes around this image and, and catching something new in every facet because he managed to encapsulate the whole movie in one image. And it doesn't look like there's much going on, on on it. And exactly like you said, the more you look at it, it's like, hey, there's a staff of raw shooting down some light. Hey, there's a guy with the monkey, you know, and it's 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 just beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is. It's gorgeous. It really, really is. And then this was reprinted as the three-issue um, adaptation, you know, the three-issue, what, what would you call it? It's, it's uh, you know, series, miniseries. Yeah. Three-issue miniseries. Um, first issue had a really nice cover by Gene Day, which I, I still find to be odd because it's a, it's a fantastic cover. Gene Day didn't have anything else to do with the series. Um, but it, it's a, a gorgeous cover. It's got Indy running away from the temple as the Juvitos are shooting arrows at him. And then... Like above that, almost like how Darth Vader would loom over Luke Skywalker on some of the earliest issues yeah. of Star Wars. You've got Tote looming over uh, Indy with uh, you know he's doing his Heil Hitler salute with the with the um, headpiece to the staff of Ra burned into his palm. That's really cool. And then the other two are drawn by 
the writer this time. He wasn't an artist on this. Uh, he he uh, was the yes. writer of the adaptation, but he did covers for issues two and three. Walt Simonson. Yes. And dude, that covered a number two. Indiana Jones going down into the Well of Souls drawn by Walt Simonson is, oh my God. You can't a, beat it. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It is so nice. It is really, really nice. And then um, all three of those were reprinted about a year or so. Let me see. I'm trying to figure out what year is. Let me see. i got to pop this open now. I believe it was 81. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. This says uh, on the cover it's dated September. Yes, 81. So a little over a year later, in November of 1982... They collected all three issues again, or basically the super specials, what they did. And they reprinted that in something called Marvel Movie Spotlight number one. There was only ever one issue, but it was Marvel Movie Spotlight number one, the uh, you know reprinting of Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's exactly the same cover as um, Raiders of the Lost Ark number one, the miniseries, except there's a little box down at the bottom that on the original cover it said Fantastic Adventure from the makers of Jaws and Star Wars. And they changed it for the Marvel movie Spotlight. And it says, because you demanded it, the incredible return of the original Indiana Jones saga. I think there's a little bit of fudging of truth and advertising there. I don't think anybody actually demanded it. What was going on? was that shortly the Further Adventures of Indiana Jones was going to start by John Byrne. And so I think that they were just, you know, looking at a little bit of cross-promotion because the reason I would suggest owning, um, definitely owning both the Marvel Comics Super Special and the, um, well, actually all three now that I, I was going to skip over the miniseries. The miniseries is definitely worth owning for those Walt Simonson covers. They're gorgeous. They're absolutely gorgeous. Of course, the Marvel Super Special is worth owning because of the Howard Chaykin cover. But here's the reason I would say that the Marvel uh, movie Spotlight's worth owning because on the inside front cover and the inside back cover are these beautiful, beautiful black and white uh it, it's it's basically it's teaser pictures of what the art was going to look like in the further adventures of indiana jones by john byrne now the one on the inside front cover became the cover of issue two of that series more or less i think it may be slightly different but it's basically the issue to number two or the cover rather to issue two where where indy and the girl are being lowered into something <laughs> right <laughs> i don't want to give it away yet the inside back cover is really interesting because to my knowledge this this is the only place you'll ever see this this image and it's this weird like it, it's like the aztec version of the grim reaper stands over indiana jones as indy's kneeling down and he's got a lantern that looks very much like uh, green lantern's power battery and he's shining it onto this like pedestal thing as he's picking up a, an idol from the ground and this grim reaper dude is standing over him about to hack his head off and Indy doesn't even know he's back there. And it just says Raiders. It doesn't say Raiders of the Lost Ark. It just says Raiders, the Sentinel. So it's weird. It's like, is this a story that we never got to see? Or, you know, was this like a, 
You know, it, it's it's just weird because it doesn't fit in with anything that eventually did come along by right. Burn for the series. So it's it's just a very unusual piece of art, but it's great. And uh, and it says on the inside front cover, it says. Uh, Special Marvel Comics pinup bonus. He says, uh, just what you've all been waiting for, a uh, special sneak preview of the all-new Indiana Jones color comic series coming soon to your neighborhood comic store. These two pinups by Team Supreme John Byrne and Terry Austin are only a sampling of the action and excitement to come, true believers, yours from Mary Marvel. And uh, <laughs> I, I can't wait. I Mary cannot. is in Jolly, not as yeah. in Mary Marvel. <laughs> Mary, Mar- yeah, exactly. Shazam. <laughs> so, uh, what what did you think of these? Uh, I I want I want your opinion both. If you can re- recall, how did you feel about it as a kid, and and how do you feel about it now? You know, almost uh, what thirty I, years later. I remember liking it as a kid, but not as much as as Star Wars. Um, I I honestly haven't read this in so long that it all came flooding back to me what it looked like you know i i like i couldn't picture the only part of it i could picture in my head was the whole sequence with the um um submarine and the periscope Mm -hmm. because i just watched jamie bennings drink (laughs) um raiding the lost ark and in the scene where indy's swimming towards the um the submarine he shows that sequence you know he cuts that sequence in like a storyboard to show you you know how they you know how it was approached in the comics and so i i was like oh yeah and you know once you see it it's just like that you know the art comes back to you but it wasn't until i opened up the the super special or opened up the file of the super special and saw the inside front cover that i realized Oh yeah, Klaus Janssen mm-hmm. is was involved in this. As soon as I saw those snakes, the way he drew the snakes, I was like, "That's right, this is Klaus Janssen," and it's sort of typical of this time period of like Klaus Janssen, like seemed to be the inker on a lot of super specials. Yeah, because like um, the the Beatles one, the Beatles story, he was the inker on that one. I think that was. Do you was, still uh, have that, by the way? I have it. it. Has no cover on it. The cover of it got eaten by a chinchilla during college. I was so pissed off there's, about that. There's something you don't hear every day. Eaten by yeah, a well, chinchilla. I, I had a girlfriend, and we had a pet chinchilla in our room, and somebody thought it would be very amusing to pull my bookshelf up near the chinchilla cage, and the chinchillas. Not only not only ate the cover off, they stripped the cover off that Beatles comic, but they chewed a good half of the cover away of my first edition printing of Uncle Tom's Cabin <laughs> that I'd had since I was a little kid. Just well, che- chewed the top off it. I, I I won't I won't bother to see. I did a search after our discussion last night. Another little peek behind the curtain. We did our uh, our Jaws commentary last night just to to you know because we were both itching to get to it. And during that discussion, we talked briefly about whether or not Jaws had had a Marvel Comics adaptation. I couldn't remember. I knew that Jaws 2 had one, but I couldn't remember if the original Jaws had one or not. Did it? Couldn't find any evidence of that today. But after looking through the, the covers to the Marvel Comics Super Specials and learning a little bit more about the ones that I actually don't own, I'm now on a quest to get Jaws 2, 
um, because that one has art by Gene Colan and Tom Palmer, the the team wow. from you know, the art team from Tomb of Dracula. I mean, come on. Wow. Uh, but also, I want that Beatles special. I've always wanted that, and I just kind of forgot that That's, it existed. Um, All these years, I just kind of forgot about it. But it's well, George it's, Perez. It's, it's early George Perez yeah. art. It's not very impressive, George Perez art. It's nice in some points, but it's it's it reminds me actually a lot of this indie. Actually, I like this indie art, but mm-hmm. and I like the art in the Beatles one too. But it's very uh, expressionistic. It's very minimalist, you know. Well, you don't want to know what what that pulls down that book. You- oh, I, am, I I I know, and I, I used to have the Kiss comic with the blood in it too. I got both oh, wow. of those from Walt. <laughs> I got both of those from Walt. He was like, "Yeah, he he, you know, he he sold me the Beatles one because he knew I was a Beatles fan, but the Kiss one, he it was kind of worth something back then." But he was like, "You know, he was just kind of like, ads ah, gimmicky. I don't really care about it, you right. know." And so I, I had that. I have no idea what happened with the Kiss one. I don't think I sold it. It could have gotten stolen. Who knows what could have, you know, over the years, things just disappear. But, I, yeah, it, I actually saw that Beatles one today when I was flipping through, and I was just like, oh, I don't have the cover to this. Because, yeah, that's worth, like, probably, like, what, 20, 30 bucks, something like that, probably. Going. <laughs> really? 50, yeah. 50, 60 bucks? I think the cheapest one I saw on eBay was, was starting at 50 Oh wow! Plus shipping. Well, you know, say uh, even even no matter how much it was worth, I wouldn't sell it anyway because of the, you know. So having the cover off it guarantees that I'm gonna have it for the rest of my life. <laughs> and the cover on it's nice. The cover on it's a- actually was really nice. It was painted. Yeah. But but the the comic itself was more what I was into, and you know now I you know I still can go back and read it. So yeah, I know. God, if, you know, if I'm just glad that I can let go of that stuff now because there's been so much stuff that I've had that's been beautiful, that's been ruined, lost, broken in my hands, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, um, I would have preferred to have re- read this in the comic book form because I just don't like the way colors look in the super specials and and the way they do comics nowadays there's no texture to the i like seeing the texture of the paper in the art that's i finally put my finger on why it is that i never liked the baxter paper or whatever it is now or what you know the higher quality paper that's why i never liked it yeah the glossy glossy or even the stuff that's not glossy but it's just really smooth you know Mm -hmm. it the the colors end up being just perfectly flat colors they look like a lit slide or something and they don't have the they're not the the texture of the paper actually would mute the colors a little bit and make them look a little more realistic but that that aside i really enjoyed rereading this um i I, there's it's really funny because i i guess i described the art as expressionistic but unlike the expressionistic Star Wars art of the first, you know, especially the first issue of Star Wars, this expressionistic art has many points where whether it's someone's expression or the way they're standing or their posture just feels like the movie. It's not even like they they, they drew it from a, a frame or something like that. They just captured 
some of the some of the scenes of the movies and the the way the characters look and reacted and I thought that was really neat that's something I never noticed till this time when I watched it there's I'm I'm flipping around now looking for a specific example there's a shot of Sapito in the beginning where he's just sort of has that like huh look on his right. face that's uh that's very nice. There is I, some photo referencing, but it's not like, say, like the Empire Strikes Back, where no. looking back on that now, it actually kind of annoys me a little bit. Whereas in this one, it's very subtle, um, the photo referencing. For the most part, you can tell that this was done prior to someone seeing the finished product. And I like that kind of thing. I really do, because then you're getting, you know, the, the, the artist's rendition rather than just you know the artist interpreting you know the movie for you I, I there's something about that that i really dig it's almost like seeing like an alternate universe version of the same story or something yeah or, you know something very close to the, the know, tale the, the told by version, a different not, person you know, kind of like when you read the novelization or you know you read the original book a movie you know comes right. from you get the same story yet slightly off I, I like that, and, and I miss you know that in these in these old comic adaptations. Ooh, that was the conversation killer right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the big thing for me in this is finding that you know there's not really any um, you know any lost scenes or you know cut footage other than the uh the famous periscope scene right that that's the big one that's the one that 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 we both remember that's probably the one everybody remembers looking you know anybody who read this and you know looking back on it that's the scene you're always going to remember as far as you know what was in the adaptation but wasn't in the movie i'm actually surprised flipping back through this after all these years for one, how my comp- my opinion has completely changed. See, I hated this when I was a kid. This is actually one of the mo- reasons I didn't go see the movie first run was I saw this adaptation and the art was, t- to my eyes then, the art was so bad that combined with everything else about the movie that it, you know it wasn't in space and it was in the 30s and it was a stupid archaeologist guy, I just had no interest whatsoever. Right. Looking at it now, I'm like, I'm amazed that I ever felt that way because I really dig it now. I, I really like this art. It's very stylized. It's very minimalistic, and I don't really care for minimalistic. But I can I can see... Klaus Janssen works really well with minimalism. He can He does something with minimalism that makes it seem interesting to me, you well, know, see, or appealing. I see it kind of the other way is I actually, I actually put any criticisms I have with the art onto Jansen because I kind of blame him for the minimalistic thing. This is kind of his shtick. You know, yeah. he, he does minimalism. I don't really care for it. So I'm actually able to kind of read between the lines of what was actually originally there from Buscema that didn't get fleshed out. You know what I mean? That, that if right. someone else had, had finished the art, someone who was like super detailed with backgrounds, like say like a Terry Austin or something. Can you imagine what yeah. this would have looked like? You there, know? there would have been bricks and, and wood grain on all the wood and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I can kind of see that, you know, I, 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 I feel like I have that eye now for comics that I can actually see the art that's, that's not there. And it, and it fills in for me and I, I really enjoy that. 
Um, the other thing, and, and you and I were discussing this just before we got started, just the uh, the alternate takes on on similar sequences in the movies. Probably the biggest one that jumped out at me that I you know I had completely forgotten everything about this other than the periscope scene where Indy and Marion escape from the well of souls. And in the movie, this is, you know, other than say the, the, the actual car chase part, you know, where, where Indy, you know, fights the driver and gets drug underneath the, you know, the, the truck and all that. Other than that sequence, I think that the fight, by the flying wind with the big German mechanic guy, I think that's probably the most exciting scene in the whole movie. In this, it's like what? It's uh, what six pan? No, it's it's like eight panels. Yeah, they come out of the well of the souls. They sneak into the area where the plane is. The German mechanic guy runs out with a Luger, about to shoot Indy in the back of the head. Marion clubs him with a freaking lug wrench in the back of the head splits his skull as he collapses to the ground. He fires off a shot. It hits the plane and blows it up. And that's how it plays out. Indy never fights the guy. He never fights the pilot. You know, there's not that danger with Marion trapped in the, in the turret. None of that shit happens in this. I was just like, wow, really? Now, after watching um, the drink, J.B. Benning, Raiding the Lost Ark, <laughs> that whole sequence was improvised. That was, uh, they were just like, you know, they, they, it was scripted almost like, you know, they get out, <clears throat> something happens on a flying wing, and then it blows up. And uh, and they actually, Harrison Ford and, and the big German guy and Steven Spielberg, they brought a, a small camera set up, and they just... They just winged it, you know. Harrison Ford was like, can I throw sand in this? You know, Harrison Ford's like, keeps asking if he can do all these dirty fighting moves on the guy. And Spielberg's going, damn, that's that's dirty. And Harrison Ford's like, look, I'm trying to get the Ark out of Cairo, you know, get the Ark to Cairo. You know, I, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to beat this guy. And they just they just went with it. They just filmed it, and then cam- they would move the camera over and do it. So... No wonder that, that sequence feels so natural and, and works yeah. so like the scene we were coming. They were on, playing. Yeah. They were pretending and playing and just doing it, you know. I, I could now I watch it after seeing that that little tidbit about it. I could I've been on film shoots like that. I've done that's how I do all my film shoots a lot of the times. It is is, you know, you and, and you can see that Spielberg was like, okay. You know, and then you punch him, and then I'll move the camera this way. You know, and and it and yeah, it comes out very fluid, natural, and spontaneous because it is. So that may not even have been filmed, and you know that might they might have given him a script, and a few you know a few still photos to work with. So that part wasn't even in there. You know, it was it was just you know, um, Indy fights on a on a wing, and and it blows up. So basically. <laughs> you know they uh Walt, Walt Simonson came up with a way for the flying wing to blow up and the bottom line is i i like that because a if you read this before you see the movie you're not robbed of that whole the whole right. feel of that sequence you know they do that a lot i think a lot more these days where they'll where they'll change something or leave stuff out just so when you see the movie 
you got something you didn't expect. You know, you go, oh, this isn't playing out like I thought it did. You know, and you get something. You know, you don't. You're not completely spoiled. Right. So, you know, and I mean, also to to draw that whole scene out and communicate everything with it. You know, that the guy, the guy's like, ooh, hey, this is gonna be fun. You know, and and all that would have taken up many many pages and there's a lot of story to tell in this comic in what 68 pages or something like that 64 68 pages now did you notice that tote uh, dies a completely different death in this uh huh the the car that uh, goes off the cliff in the comic as opposed to the movie is the car that has tote in it he's actually not riding with Belloc and Gobler, he's riding in a car where it's just him and a bunch of his minions. And I like that you can r- see his hat flying off. Yeah, that's actually really cool because I remember looking at the at the end of it, at the you know the opening the arc scene, and they make a big deal about Belloc being killed, but there's no mention of of Tote. It doesn't show him melting or anything. And I thought, well, that's weird. And then I just, as I was flipping through this, realized that no, wait, he dies. He's already dead. <laughs> yeah, much earlier in this story than he than he did. But you know, the the fight, you know, in the truck is extremely abrupt. Basically, Indy comes in, he clocks the guy, throws him out of the driver's seat, takes over the truck, runs Tote's car off a cliff. And drives into the uh, the Arab market, and that's it. That's that's the entire scene. And I mean, come on, that's that's like you know the the most exciting part of the whole movie, and it's, yeah. and it's cut Dude, down to two pages. I think it's merciful. I think it's leaving you, it's leaving you stuff to see. You know, it's it's right. it's leaving you like like you said, those two sequences are the two most exciting sequences in the whole movie, pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, if it, but. They gave the full treatment to the opening sequence. You know, they spent a disproportionate amount of pages on the opening sequence as opposed to the amount of, you know, the opening sequence is, what, 15 minutes? Right. And it's probably 10 pages of this. Yeah. And and, and right after that, right after they abbreviate the car chase, they abbreviate the whole love scene with Indy and Marion and just have it where they're starting to make out and then he's like, hey, the engine stopped. Instead of, you know, that whole cute sequence. And then, you know, the next morning it's like, what's wrong, you know? So, you know, they were definitely, definitely, you know, having to propel it forward. Do a little reader's digesting to it. I just realized the whole part with Jacques is entirely cut out of this. Not not even in it at all, yeah. Yeah, which is weird because I, if I'm not mistaken, in, in the... Uh in the series that we're going to cover the further adventure adventures, Indiana Jones, I'm pretty sure we see Jacques again, or was it Jacques or Jacques? Jacques. Jacques. I think it was Jacques. Jacques. Yeah. I think we see him again, which is, you know, I always wonder how that reads, how that kind of stuff works to people that may not have seen the movie and all they've got to go with is the adaptation. You know, I, I always wonder how that's kind of weird. (laughs) And also when Indy hides on the ship, he hides like in a closet or something, you know, he's just like in a room instead of, instead of in one of those, I don't know what the hell you call those things. I thought it was hysterical that, you know, in the movie, Tote grabs the the red hot medallion and it burns his hand and he runs out. He drops it and he runs out. And then later, 
Spielberg specifically makes a point to show that Marion uses a rag to pick up the medallion before she leaves the, the burning building. In this, Tote burns his hand, runs out, the fight continues, and uh, let's see here, one, two, three, four panels after Tote burns his hand and runs outside, she picks it up with her bare hand and runs outside. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was hysterical. It's like, wow, it cur- cooled down really fast, apparently. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, well, it's cold in Nepal. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I really do. I, I, I'm just so amazed looking at this now, all these years later, how much more I, I really, really like this. I, I think it's actually really well done. And uh, I'll tell you, I think my favorite panel of the entire, and I can't tell you why I like this. I just love it. it it's something about the composition. It's the first panel on the page where Indy's aboard the sub and the sub is submerging. Just look at the, the, the way that that panel is laid out. Indy's holding on to the ladder to the conning tower with one hand, and he's kind of falling backwards a little bit as the water washes over him. It's just a completely natural pose. That, that's, what uh-huh. would, that's what it would actually look like, you know? And it's just a, a, a great a great panel and he's thinking to himself, "Uh Oh, the, you know, the subs beginning to submerge and he's wondering if this was such a good idea. I just, there's something about that. I really, really like it's, it's really cool. And then, uh, the other thing I caught was that the, uh, Mexican standoff in, well, it was filmed in Tunisia. I'm not sure where it's actually supposed to be taking place in the movie, but it's, it's the sequence that, What's that? A remote island. A remote island, yeah. You know, the the part where Indy's up on the cliff with the um with the rocket launcher. In this, the ceremony actually starts, you know, with uh with um Belloc donning the you know, the Jewish um what do they call that? The the um Rabbi? Not quite not quite a rabbi, but uh I can't I there's a word for it from the Bible now I can't think of what it's called but anyway you know he's he's doing the whole Jewish ceremony to you know so that he can open the ark in in this adaptation that actually starts and that's when Indy comes in with the rocket launcher he's basically going to shoot it point blank probably risking killing everybody everybody there, you know and I like that you know it it combines two scenes into one basically and and he's taken out by a guy sneaking up behind him. Right. Which is funny because if he shot the rocket launcher, that guy would get a face full of fire too. The the scene where he's coming down before he pulls out the rocket launcher makes him look like sort of like a gorilla Davy Jones from the monkeys. Do you see the one I'm talking about? It, it You know he died today, right? Yes. He still looks. I, I did. That, that's not why I brought it. He just. He has that sort of Davy Jones haircut. Wait, which page is this? On on the same page we were talking. Just as he's. Just as the one right before the the panel of Marion getting tied up. He's got this like crow magnum look, but he's got like the the monkey's <laughs> hair on him. You know what I mean? He looks like he looks like Conan the Barbarian and Davy Jones from the monkeys he mixed does, together. Kinda, it's yeah. very weird. He it does. all. It, it kind of reminds me that that particular picture reminds me of 
Oh, who's the guy who has a school of art that you would... Oh, um... Kubert. Joe Kubert. Kubert. That looks like a Joe Kubert it does. Uh, it drawing does. right there. Or a, a Milton Caniff of Terry and the Pirates or something. Mm-hmm. It has that... It has that, um... Detailed Sundays, Sunday, you know, drama, adventure, Sunday newspaper look to it. It's weird. It just, it's, it's, maybe it's because he doesn't have his hat. Right. <laughs> maybe the hat, like, takes away a little Indiana Jonesness, too. He's got a very Han Solo like holster, too. Yeah. Actually, the way, the way, look at the way his shirt is cut, like the collar of his shirt, that's very Han Solo, too. Yeah. It is. But I like, yeah, I, uh, I noticed that Indy and, uh, and, uh, Marion profess their love for each other when they think they're gonna die, you know, when the arc's being opened up. That's that's completely different. I and wonder it, if that's something. And, and that and that scene though, she looks like a she looks like um, somebody possessed in the Evil Dead. She's got the like white eyes. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think she's meant to be like looking over her shoulder, what? But you're right. When you look at it a certain way, it does look like she has like zombie eyes or something. Oh, you're right. She's That's looking it. off towards Indy, but yeah, you're yeah, yeah. It's subtle. Now, did you notice that the way um, Belloc dies in this, and the description that's given for the way he dies, is very, very much like how the Russian woman dies in. Um, Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull, yes. Like almost like a supernatural overload. Yeah. Because yeah. it says here, it says uh, something about it is God's reply to evil men. Belloc takes the full brunt of the unleashed fury. His eyes burn with revelation as though he has experienced some kind of transcendental knowledge. This is the last thing he will ever know. And then it goes on to show you know, pretty much what the movie... But that I, I know what he learned. God it, hates Nazis, <laughs> right? Right. But in this, it doesn't show it. You know, him like quiver and his head blows up. It, it shows him. It looks pretty much like God burns his brain out. You know. Yeah. But and, but once again, though that was a big when that happened in the movie, the theater would go. When I saw that in the theater, everybody was just like. Whoa! Because it's just like, and then boom and bleh. You know, it's it's just insane gore. Even for this movie was violent, but that's when it went over the top. And I think they were also like, eh, it's not going to translate into a a comic. So they they underplay stuff like that. So when you actually see it in the movie you're not underwhelmed or you're not like, you know, you're not like, Oh, okay. I know what's going to happen here. Even if you're like, you know, what's going to happen. The way it plays out is still novel, you know? Right. I think it's a mercy that, that, <laughs> that comic adaptations do that, you know, especially it, it depends on whether I'm reading the adaptation before I see the movie or after I see the movie, after I see the movie, I'm probably more interested in it being, you know, more accurate. Right. But a lot of times when I were, we were kids, you know, the comic came before the movie because to see a movie, we had to finagle our parents into it. So, but, you know, to read the comic, you just went and got the comic. So I will say that my original criticism for when I was a kid of the final sequence of both the comic and the movie, you know, that that sequence of 
the ark being crated up and and carried off, you know, into the you know the vast warehouse. My criticism of of this adaptation remains, which is in the movie it looks like a vast warehouse. In this, it looks like the stock room at Wegmans. Yes, you know? there's not it, a lot of uh, yeah perspective to it. Yeah, you don't see down a long hallway. Yeah, I don't I don't like it as much. But uh, other than that. I, I'm impressed. I think it's pretty cool. I'd like to see it in plain old black and white. I'll bet you it would look. Yeah, good. it would. It would almost look like an alternative comic, like some of the style of some of the alternative comics of the last like ten or fifteen years. Uh, almost like that. Remember, I was buying for a little while that uh, Sweet Tooth comic. Mm-hmm. This isn't as sketchy as this, but I have a feeling without color, it would have a little more of that feel to it. You know. Of of those independent comics where you know it's a little sketchy like this because you have one guy who's doing everything, so I I'd really like to see a black and white version of it, but you know it's not something that I guess it could end up in an omnibus type. Uh, they've already done like a lot of the Indiana Jones stuff as omnibuses or collections, though, haven't they? They um, were collected by uh, by Dark Horse Comics. I don't know if they collected the entire series, but I'm pretty sure that Ra- both the Raiders adaptation and at least the earliest and best issues of the further adventures were collected. I, I Again, though, I don't know if the entire series was collected. Now, do you think at some point we want to do the Temple of Doom? adaptation i i actually have oh, a sure. special of that still the only thing i don't own in in marvel comics's run of indiana jones is i never did get the adaptation of uh of the last crusade neither did i because that came so much further down the line after i wasn't um, buying comics at that period of time yeah, I, think, I, was, I think that was when i was in college and you were in the military probably around there yeah I was so busy with other things. And, you know, the regular series had long since ended um, by the time that that Temple, or excuse me, that Last Crusade came along. And judging, strictly judging a book by its cover, it just didn't look very good. And so I didn't pick it up. But uh, I I know it's out there and it's around on the cheap. So between now and the time we'll actually get to it, if if I have the opportunity to snag it, you know, for you know, quarters or 50 cents or something, then I'll get it, you know? It's weird. After a point in time, I sort of lost interest in movie adaptations. Well, they they started getting really skimpier and skimpier was the problem. So, so now I like, I, I haven't like pursued any, and then, and then like, I've never been interested in sort of the people who are like, yeah, we'll do old movies you know, here's here's an adaptation of Night of the Living Dead, and then you see it, and it's like kind of half-assed. It, yeah, it just doesn't. It, it's I'm still interested in finding some of the old movie adaptations and stuff like that. Like I was just looking right. at my Pl- Planet of the Apes number one the other day. I just dumped all my comics out of the the long boxes and reorganized them for the first time in many years, and uh, they're finally in order. I had to get them in order to do that underground show i do with johnny bueno because that stuff was just scattered all over the place and uh all the stuff for our shows i've got organized out of necessity i've decided it was time to do that and i saw a lot of stuff that i haven't seen in years but i didn't see my raiders adaptation hmm i'm i'm mystified i'll I'll go through it i'll I'll probably 
You see that I'm the I'm the kind of guy if I don't find it the first time through, I take a second run through all my comics and a third run, you know. Right. And, and the damn damnedest thing is, is sometimes you eventually do find it, and you're like, how did I go over this same box four times and not see it till now? Especially like on the third time when you're like, when you got a grudge against the whole world, and you're going, okay one next one you know you're like um, uh, just out of just out of curiosity i looked up the cover to the further adventures of indiana jones number two to see if this actually is the cover on the inside uh front cover of the marvel movie spotlight and it's weird because it is except in the one in the spotlight, Indy doesn't have a shirt on, and he and the girl that he's tied back to back with, they're both barefoot. On the finished cover, Indy has his shirt on. He does, he's not wearing his hat, but he does have his, a shirt on, and they both have shoes on their feet. And the, the shaman, high priest, whatever this guy is supposed to be, he's actually casting his shadow, like a long, spooky-looking shadow on the wall. That's missing from the finished cover as well. So it's really neat. I mean, and plus with it being in black and white, it just looks awesome. But that's that's actually neat that there's a little bit of a distinction between this preview image and the actual finished you know, cover to uh, to the issue itself. Well, now that we've got the Raiders adaptation out of the way, I, I'm, I'm serious, dude. I'm so looking forward to the first story arc of Further I have, Adventures. I have not read that in so many years. I wish I still had those, especially the Burn ones, were so beautifully drawn. I, I'm looking forward to it, too, because they were just... It was just... You could tell it was a labor of love. It's the, at least those first two issues. Mm-hmm. I, the... I think, like, my initial disappointment with that series was just because I didn't understand at the time that you could not put out a monthly book <laughs> like that, you know? Right. You, you just couldn't. You couldn't do it every month. And you couldn't, like, uh, you could, but you would probably have to have John Byrne working exclusively on it. And there was no way that was going to happen at that period in time. Right. And, uh,. So, you know, you got these two just meticulously. I mean, I, I look at those. Uh, I remember when those came out and I was like, this this is the first comic continuation that's truly up to the movie. You know, it's yes. up to it. Yes. It's 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 this is something that, you know, is is it, it just said Indiana Jones all the way through it. I mean. I, I, I personally at that point in time sort of thought of John Byrne as a Steven Spielberg of comics art, you know. Mm-hmm. He and Perez, you know, he and Perez were sort of balanced out between Marvel and DC as just the, you know, they weren't they weren't too wild or wacky and they were realistic, but they were both, you know, in the, the same just sort of qualities were in, in all of them. And I'm sure, like, they were being influenced by Spielberg's movies and, you know, just the general culture at large. But yeah, that I mean, from the cover to the to the writing in it and to the art in it, the art in it is just a feast. Every frame is a feast. I can't wait. 
I, I'm really, really, really looking forward to that. I might have to go. I might have to go and find it tonight. I, I, I found those torrents of just like you, you, you know, you know, 1981 every Marvel comic, and stuff. So, I, so it's probably what like 1982, 83 that that came out. Uh, it would be 80. No, let's see. This uh, the ad, the uh, reprint Marvel movie spotlight. What year did I say that was? 82. 82. I think it was 82 let me let me take another quick look here just to be sure this was november of 82 so further adventures began the following january so that was january of 83 83 yep excellent i i i might have to i might i may be reading that tonight i don't know i have some star trek homework to do tonight god <laughs> i got all sorts of great stuff to <laughs> homework has never been so fun <laughs> I wish this was what homework was like in high school. Oh my god, we would have been valedictorians. We would have had to fight in a thunderdome to see who was valedictorian. Next month, what are we are we gonna do are we gonna do the first issue of of the John Byrne? Are we gonna do the I, I will leave that entirely to you, because if you wanna do both, I could be down for that. I I there, I kind of wanted because if I remember that they're one story. It is one story, yeah. But on the other hand, I don't mind savoring the John Byrne over two months, and it's Indiana Jones. So, so maybe it, maybe we should try to end on cliffhangers end as on much cliffhangers. as possible. Hey, that's a good idea. That's a, like that, that. that that might bring him back for the next episode too, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can trick the, the viewers into coming back for other episodes. Yeah. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of... Two True Freaks.
force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet.